Welcome to the Galen Trombley Show. You can find me on Facebook at Galen Trombley, on Instagram at Galen Trombley, and on YouTube at Galen Trombley. Spelling G-A-E-L-A-N-T-R-O-M-B-L-E-Y. Enjoy the show. Welcome to episode 46 of the Galen Trombley Show. Um, on this episode, I have Jared Burns, a financial advisor at Donlin and Barcombe Wealth Advisors locally in Plattsburgh. Uh, we talked about his background, how he came to Plattsburgh. We also talked his photography um, um, you know, career with his wife, Debbie. And honestly, we talked pretty much all golf. So if you guys love golf, this is the podcast for you. If you don't love golf, it's too bad. It's an hour and a half of, of golf. But uh, this is episode 46. We had a blast. Again, Jared Burns, episode 46, Galen Trombley Show. Welcome to the Galen Trombley Show. Welcome to episode 46 of the Galen Trombley Show. Um, I don't know if you can tell yet, um, or if you will, I'm fighting off a little bit of a cold, so if it sounds like I have a little bit of raspiness in my voice, it's 100% true. Um, I do have a cold, but today I have a good buddy of mine um, in studio, uh, Jared Burns. He is the financial advisor, or a financial advisor at Donlin and Barcombe Wealth Advisors here in Plattsburgh. Um, he's also you know, man of many talents, which I'm sure we'll get into. So, Jared, welcome. Well, thank you. I, I actually like when you said I'm the financial advisor at Donovan and Markham. I, I like that title. That's a little bit better. I'm sure. I'm sure uh, Instead who, of A. Who's your other guys, Bob and... Uh, Bob and Jim. Bob yeah. and Jim would love that. So Yeah, I don't think so. It's like when they say, like, the U. At like, you know, like, <laughs> University of Miami, the U, or the Ohio State. This is the financial advisor. The advisor. So, uh, Jared, for people that don't know you, this isn't your first rodeo on the podcast, I just learned, so... But give us, if they haven't listened to that crappy podcast called Craigcast yet, uh, give us the who background. Who knows about that podcast? It's very, very low listener rate, but that's that's all right. We, we still love Matt. Um, and uh, so give us give us a background on kind of basically how you became 2019 Jared, how you got to the area, all that good stuff. Well, there's a couple, couple pieces to it. Uh, the easiest is Plattsburgh State, and I can get into how I went there, um, how did I end up at how to end up in Plattsburgh after Plattsburgh State met my wife at Plattsburgh State, so that's how we got back here. But there's a little bit of a road getting there too. Um, and then how did I get to where I'm at today is kind of an interesting story too, in terms of why did I get into financial advisory practice? Why did I why did I choose that? Uh, that dates back to ninth grade. Uh, at a, it was one of those situations, and I've told this story a million times, um, but it's one of those situations where I knew what I wanted to be. I wanted to be an architect forever. It was just one of those things that I just wanted to do as a kid. And uh, I went to this career day at the school, and they, they make you choose two professions. So they make you choose, you know, you, do, you don't have an option of doing just one and then sitting out the rest of the day. So it was, I was like, oh, well, I don't need the second one, but I'm going to go to the architect. And then, yeah, my buddy's dad's a, what we call a stockbroker back then. And uh, I had, the architect was the first one. And I sat in that, it was in like the technology room, the computer lab. And we went to a Catholic school, so our computer lab was like 1986, horrible computers. <laughs> But so I'm sitting through that and I'm listening to this guy talk about being an architect and sorry to like 
Jim Abdullah and everybody I know that's an architect, but he made it sound like it was like the worst profession ever. Uh, he said school was horrible, work is horrible, um, basically everything is horrible. I go home and drink at night. <laughs> Just, uh, I don't know if he had some problems at home. It yeah. sure sounded like he did. <laughs> Because his life did not sound the greatest. I really don't think they did their due diligence on who they brought in as the architectural <laughs> representative. Um, but I, so I walked out of that lab and I was just like, oh my God, I, I've, I've completely chosen the wrong fate for myself. And so after listening to what sounded like the most dismal career path anyone could choose, I sat through this uh, lively uh, stockbroker um, just purely by default. And this guy was, you know, and I think it's a comparison thing. This other guy literally was like, wah, wah. Like, I don't know how else you could describe him. And uh, so it really didn't take much for anyone to kind of surpass that. Um, but the guy, Mr. Altieri, I remember his name, uh, but he was just super happy. And uh, he just loved his job and he couldn't express how how great it was to go to work. And I was like, okay, sure, buddy. But he, uh, he just loved it. And he started talking about it. I was like, okay, I could get down with this. I'm good with numbers. All right, let's see it. My best friend's dad does this. I could, I could see what's going on here. And, uh, so that day, a 14 year old moldable mind basically completely shut down his life goals and changed paths completely and, uh, said, all right, here's, here's the thing. And so everything from there was, uh, getting into finance so back then, like I said, it was being a stockbroker. Now it's financial advisory, but we can we can touch on that if you want. It's a little boring. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> You're starting to sound like the architect now, <laughs> or the engineer. Wah, wah, wah. But yeah, so uh, ended up going to Plattsburgh State. So long story short, I met my wife in uh, economics class. That's a really riveting one. Uh, but so we hit it off in, in class. She was a year ahead of me. For everybody that knows my wife, it was Debbie Davis is her is her maiden name. She's a Plattsburgh local. Um, and then so she graduated the year before me, and we uh, we actually went to Boston for three years. We spent about three years down in Boston, which was just incredible. Um, so I was still I graduated finance degree. Um, you know the whole situation was more like corporate. So it was like, get a, get a job at a good company. I mean, this is fresh out of 08. I mean, the recession is just starting to happen. So it was like, just land a good job at a corporation and work your way up. And uh, so I was doing that for a while. And it was, Boston's a great town. And we just went back, not to go off on a tangent, we just went back this weekend just to hang out and bring the kids. And uh, the only the only cloud over our nice parade was I got my phone stolen in Boston. So that kind of sucked but other than that i do love boston um jeez wherever that guy is right now anyway uh so we were there for a little while and then uh my wife really didn't kind of like her career path and she was just not digging what was going on because she was in finance as well she was working for um she was an office manager for uh basically an insurance insurance probably a little bit of financial advisory practice but primarily insurance she wasn't a big fan of him um, and so she started looking elsewhere she started getting into photography and then that's right around when the corporate world just I pretty much not out of the gate but about two years in I was like okay this corporate thing is not not my jam I really want to see what we can do elsewhere and so I started just figuring out is you know is there something else that I could do um that's more like small business oriented things like that and so we i I literally just had like 
failed idea after a stupid failed idea and so that's when she got into photography she's like you know check it out see what you could do see if see if there's something we could do and that's honestly how we ended up back in plattsburgh um so she she got hooked up with a photographer down in boston started what, what they call second shooting so so like shooting at weddings and stuff like uh kind of like her second hand person and then she kind of started teaching me all the ropes and then we the more we got into it the more we realized hey we might be able to, you know, make a, a career at least, or at least a career change at this and make some money. And so the big thing was while we're, I was still working, she was still working, which if anyone decides to ever make the leap from corporate into like launching your own business, keep working as long as possible and ca- <laughs> and cash as many checks as possible uh, before you do that, because it's about the scariest leap you'll make of your life. Um, but so we were doing that for a while. We were, you know, working with, a like a designer to help us with website. We were getting everything up and running. And we just said, you know, if we're going to make this work, I think Boston's too big of a market because it's already, it's so saturated with photographers and, you know, we're just people that have basically no experience at this point. And, uh, just that second shooting that she was doing. And so we said, well, you know, I always, I always liked Plattsburgh. I, I used to tell my buddies when I went to college, I was like, I could see myself living here. And pretty much everybody, all of my buddies in college were from Long Island. So they couldn't picture anyone ever wanting to live in upstate New York. And to them, this is further than upstate New York because upstate is like Poughkeepsie. <laughs> but so, uh, so we made the leap and we moved back and uh, it was it was a little bit tough, but it was a great situation for us because we did what every millennial apparently does. So we did live up to the stigma. We moved in with her dad for about nine months in the basement. And yeah, not in the basement. I did have a window, so that was a, a nice advantage. Um, but so we did that for a little while and we got, we slowly built our business and we did, you know, I think we did a lot of things, right. Some of the stuff we lucked into, some of it was actual like us, you know, m- going down the right path and not making a mistake, which was nice. So we, we built a pretty, pretty successful business pretty quickly. Um, and so, you know, through that, I was always viewed myself like she's, she's way more into photography than I ever was. Um, like I thought it was cool. It came to me pretty easily. I understood how things worked. I'm more technically minded. So it was more like, Hey, here's how you can manipulate a camera to get what you want. Um, so that was, that was interesting, um, to me at least, but it wasn't that like, okay, this is my career. Like I know I need something else. And so in the back of my mind, it was always, how do I get back to what I went to college for? And so when is that, you know, when I'm going to be able to make that leap? And the bigger question was how I actually, um, before I hooked up with Bob and Jim, I actually, for about a week, Googled Syracuse Architectural School. <laughs> and I, uh, liver of hope. <laughs> Ray of light. So, but, uh, so, I, cause I was really just like, okay, some, something needs to change. Cause I can't be that. I, my wife always says it's, uh, you know, it never would have been a thing, but I always said to myself, I was like, okay, once I hit, you know, 30 or 35, like I, I feel like I'm, I'm going to be that creepy photographer that is just like, taking pictures and I don't want to be that guy. And I'm not saying that people that are above 30 that take photos are creepy because they're not. It was just an internal thing in my head. It was like, okay, once dude, once you hit 30, if you're still taking photos, like what kind of van you driving at that point? (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> well, it's down by the river. Yeah. <laughs> and there's no, there's no windows in yeah, it. Under the overpass, you're good. <laughs> but so, so yeah, so I was looking and uh, um, I've told this story a million times too. Uh, it was uh, at a rotary meeting, which was, which was really cool. I mean, honestly, I can not to, not to give a bunch of shameless plugs for rotary, but it is an awesome organization. Um, we pretty much were able to eat because of rotary because they got us a gig, a photography gig, like right out of the gate. Um, that pretty much kept us afloat while we were trying to build our business when we moved back. And then we, I can also thank rotary because that was how I met Bob, uh, Donlin cause Bob's in rotary and he was just, you know, just having a conversation at the beginning of a meeting talking about how there are no young people in, in my industry now, you know, as, as financial advisor, nobody wants to get into it. And he's like, we've, we've been looking and looking and looking for someone that would be a good fit. And it just seems like there's no young people anymore that want to get into it. Cause they're looking to, you know, how can they keep their business going? Cause I mean, the, they're going to want to retire at some point. I mean, retirement to them, and, and, and we talk about it all the time, retirement to them is never, you know, stepping away completely, but it's, you know, how do you pass the, the torch at the, to the most part to someone that can actually be doing most of the day-to-day but still be involved? And so that's kind of their vision for the business. And so they were looking for someone, and uh, so he was just talking about how they couldn't find anyone. And so Debbie and I left that meeting, and that's all I could think about for the entire meeting was like, holy crab this might be my opportunity like this might be that path that i i can finally go down and so i uh basically annoyed the crap out of bob for about a year i kept calling him i I took him out to lunch um and uh i i call it really assertive he called it annoying and aggressive (laughs) different different closing strategies right (laughs) i'm not a big salesperson but man was i selling myself to bob and uh, that that went on for, jeez, I think that was a two-year conversation before we actually pulled the trigger. Did you you need the same degree for what you're doing before? Yeah. So you so you need you need a college degree. It doesn't have to necessarily be in finance, but my gosh, does that absolutely help? But the big thing is, in order to be an advisor, you need certain securities licensing. So that's a that's an element that factors into it too. You got to be able to have some time, or or at least be able to study for for all of those tests. Um, but so, yeah, so that's in a nutshell, that's how I got to Plattsburgh and how we kind of circumvented Boston and then came back and, and ended up in this field. So I'm pretty excited. Where, where's your hometown again? Clayton, New York. So I always, is that your son's name also? That's my son's name. Yeah. yeah. So it, where's Clayton near that Syracuse? Clayton's North of Syracuse. So Clayton is on the St. Lawrence river, um, thousand islands. Some people have heard of the thousand islands. Most people have heard of Alex Bay. Yeah. Cause that's kind of like the closest party town over in the thousand islands that people vacation in. I always say that, sorry for people that live in the, actually I'm not sorry for people who live in the Bay. Uh, Clayton is a way nicer town. Um, so are you on the water? Yeah, right on the water. Our house isn't on the water, but we like the whole, it's a village. It's not even a city. It's just a little village. I forget what our population is. It, our population spikes by like 4,000 in the summertime. <laughs> okay. So, I mean, I went to Shay, I grew up in Shay Z, so probably similar town, yeah, maybe big, a little bigger. It's bigger than Shay Z. And it's, I mean, there's like a town and a village. So we lived in the village, the town, probably same population, but the village is certainly quite a bit bigger than like Shay Z. I guess that's 
I don't know yeah. if that's a hamlet of Shazy or whatever it is. Um, so it's bigger than that, but it's all condensed and it's just this little peninsula that sits out in the St. Lawrence River and there's kind of like bays that are around it on each side. But it's an awesome tourist town. So, Everybody should check it out. So about three hours from here? It's exact, yeah, it's exactly three hours from here. Well, how do you, do you go up through just, I guess, above, up and above over our um, Augensburg and down? Yep. Best way to yep. go? Yep. Brandersville Cutoff. Everybody knows that. Brainerdsville, oh yeah, by by uh, the turnpike, take off yep. the turnpike, yeah, yep. yeah, you you can uh, go pretty fast down that road. Well, you, you used to when I was in college, you could go real fast. Why they they they, they seem to, pretty good. They seem to patrol it a little yeah. bit more. Uh, plus, I'm I got two kids. I'm not getting yeah. I'm not getting a ticket at this point. That's get, get get pulled over in the minivan. Get pulled you have minivan? I don't. But we're uh, you know I've always been that person that's like you know what. This is not something I can do. I'm going to have an SUV forever. And we just went to Boston in my CRV with two kids. And I tell you what, that double stroller that we have. And by the way, this is, this is my life now. Like I just talk about my kids and what it's like I'm, to be a parent. I'm the same. This could be, this could be a parenting, parenting <laughs> so, thing. Yeah. So, so certain people could totally relate to this. And other people are like, wow, this is really boring. Yeah, you guys can shut this off right now. <laughs> but so we found out really fast how small a crv actually is it uh-huh. is tiny and i love that vehicle so i think we're on the uh, the van bandwagon real soon so we just so we god i can't believe i said that out loud the van <laughs> the bandwagon the van the, band. the, the van wagon the van wagon so we uh we have a crv also i have the same car as you mm-hmm. and it's great there's good i think a good amount of space in it and the same thing because we had the double stroller my wife was trying to sell me on it i mean it took her about a month i mean basically once my wife gets something in her head it's probably it takes a long time to get out of her head so that's pretty much it's gonna happen yeah so we ended up getting the uh, volkswagen atlas yeah which is really nice and it's it's, it it drives incredible but the back seat is is really big and in the sense that now we're doing some projects around the house and stuff and it's become a very good like to stow stuff in um but the problem is, obviously, when you have the car seats in, trying to go to like Lowe's and throw stuff in. The other day, we had a handrail that was a 12-foot handrail that we basically ran out the back. and it, it, like, it kind of fit, but we couldn't shut the door. So like, we're driving down with it up. I'm in the front seat holding. She was driving. I'm in the front seat just kind of holding on to this thing. So, um, But there, there's certain things that it works good, but the double stroller is phenomenal. So we've actually taken a couple little... Like a you know trip to Park Safari, her parents came and we were able to get the do- double stroller in with everybody. And oh yeah! So some, there's some perks to it and some good things. And then, um, but my wife is dead set no van. But I grew up with a van. We always had a van for as yeah. long as I can remember. So you're pro van. I'm open to the van. I'm open. I, I wouldn't say I'm pro van. I mean, I I, I like the, I like what <laughs> we're talking have. like you're pro van. I, I, I would I would be much more apt to get one because it, it's very. You know, it's conducive to what our lifestyle is right now. That's yeah. why they make the vans. Yeah. But she's dead set against the van. And I'm like, yeah, but your friends are starting to get the vans because they're having kids. And oh, you so, wait. Yeah. So it's a matter of time. But she she's pretty uh, thick-headed. So she, uh, yeah, so I'm not sure if that's going to actually, we're ever actually going to get one. We'll see. We'll see as the kids get older. But right now, the Atlas is, a, so anybody that wants to go divert from a van, the Volkswagen Atlas is very nice. Something to look into. I think I'm just going straight. I'm just, just going diving in, diving straight into head the head and feet first. Yeah. Just yeah, cannonball. Gonna, gonna get rid of that. Get rid of that. Uh, Which accord, other? accord that we have? Oh, yeah, see, yeah that's the thing. You, like, I think you'd still keep the CRV. Oh, definitely. Because CRV is nice. It's I'm not giving good, it up. Yeah, it's a good. It's a good run. How old or what year is it? Seventeen. Uh, yeah, I think I have the same one then. Yeah. Yeah, they're nice. I like them. I love it. Yeah, but you have uh, yours black, right? Yep. 
Yeah, we, yours is that it's shape, dark green. shape-shifting green. Yes, shape, good, good term. Because we, well, I wanted black, and then I'm, I'm also Mr. Impulsive, too. So I was on the lot, and they're like, well, we don't have a black one. We have this dark green one. We can order a black one. It might be in. And I'm already there, and I'm like, you know what? Just give me the green. Like, I'm literally to the point. This is me, because I was like. It works for you, though. Well, it's good. It matches a lot. It wasn't like I got a blue or something weird I didn't want. But it right. just, for me, it was the time. Like, I don't want to have to come back here and do this. Even though I know it's probably it semi-quick. Looks, it, honestly, it looks black pretty much. When the 23 sun, out of 24 hours. Yeah, I was going to say, every once in a while, you get a good green shot of it. But most of it's, most of it's pretty black. Um, so the so back to the uh, so the financing thing you wanted to do for a while. So you were, in, were you ever, like when you came back into the photography business, were you guys just full on just photography? Yeah, full on. We went so it was straight all, into And that's it. all commission based, obviously. Yeah. Like sales commission. I say commission, but sales. I mean, you're. And that's the gigs. scary the scary part about that. And I mean, I, everybody that does sales, they, they understand that is the biggest thing is, well, in your profession too, I mean, you get a little bit of repeat business. I mean, you know, it's like the, the five-year rule. People mm-hmm. tend to, you know, start thinking about another house five years down the road. And if you're not calling your clients after five years, you're not doing your job. But um, that was the photography business too, right? So people hopefully get married once. So you typically don't have repeat wedding clients. Uh, people, I mean, they have a couple kids, typically, you know, two or three kids. So that's that's good for that side of the business. So you'll get a little bit of repeat clients there. Um, but really it's like year in and year out, you're basically starting at square one and saying, okay, we need to build this business. So it's it's a little bit of a different marketing approach. And, you know, I've, I can I can work under that under that model because obviously we made it work for seven years and uh debbie's still doing a little bit of it um so i can work under that model but it's a little bit more stressful not knowing like hey here's where my business is Mm -hmm. is coming from this year and you're not working with like you're not you know and i I know that's why some a lot of photographers have like corporate gigs and things like that because you know you're going to have that steady income stream coming in from you know doing these product shoots for xyz corporations or or things like that things like that and i tell you what proms we did one of those oh Never yeah. again. Yeah. I just, I just, th- my big thing was, uh, I want to have fun doing what I'm doing. Um, and proms were like, not to dive into photography cause this is going to interest probably 2%. Well, you of can. I'm actually kind of, I'm actually kind of interested. <laughs> this is the theme of, of my thing is, it's whatever I want to talk about. So I, I really don't, unfortunately, <laughs> or fortunately for people out there, I really don't care. So no, go into it. Cause I actually, I'll, I'll talk to you after cause I do some I'm probably going to just like pick your brain on some stuff. So go ahead. So proms were, so anyway, well, before going to proms, so my big thing was like, we really wanted to do outdoor photography. Yes, you can't necessarily control your environment, but it's more fun. Like there's, there's more opportunity. There's more things, there's more change in background and it's a natural setting where you're not sitting there in a studio and all right, here's this background and let's walk over to this other piece of the studio and, you know, rest your head in your hands and there's a nice little doorway behind faux doorway behind you know you know mm-hmm. like the, the old the old school way and so that was our big thing and and so proms were like the antithesis of that proms were you we did one i think we did one and uh from a business perspective you know for the amount of work that you do relative to time spent yeah it's it's profitable i mean for your for hours working hours to to money in um but you literally they give you like a classroom you walk in, you set up your lights, you set up your backdrop, whatever the kids choose. You know, you did a little, you do a little like pre-prep work where you meet with their little committee, and the kids are like super stoked and excited about prom and mm-hmm. everything, and and uh, um, and then you just set up, and it's just, but it's just click. It's just come in, 
pose like this click pose like this click and it's just boring like the, the big thing that i'd say the the most fun part about the photography like the senior because i did i pretty much did all the high school senior portraits debbie debbie assisted i think year one debbie assisted um and so by when when people assist so like when you look at like a really nice really nice photo like outdoor photo like when when people's faces are really like you can see it very well there's there's a the proper shadowing but there's plenty of light in their face a lot of times what happens behind the scenes and you kind of see this now online but um, people will use um, what are called reflectors and so there's these huge discs that are either white or gold or silver and they basically just bounce light back in so like naturally people with like a heavy eyebrow like they're their uh their eyes are going to look really dark in photos so what you can do is you can bring this in and it just bounces light back up into their face so it's more evenly lit so especially for girls guys you like that dramatic lighting because it makes them look tougher you know brings the lines out in their face it you know brings any sort of shadowing out which is looks good but for girls it's it's all about that perfect complexion so so I always had an assistant that held that for me. And then the assistant obviously helped with like changing the lenses and carrying my stuff and, and things like that. It sounds kind of pretentious, but it's just easier because my whole job was to make sure that these kids feel really comfortable and that I can pose them properly. So there's a lot of, it's literally like a one-on-one -on -one interaction. So anyway, so Debbie helped with that for the first year. And then what we did was we hired, we had an intern the next year, and then we hired a girl for the summer. And so what worked out really well was the two girls that we had, and I think we used, I think we only ever had two girls, they were either still in high school, one was still in high school the year we did it, or they were fresh out of high school to the point where they basically knew everybody. So like all of the girls that we had that we were taking photos for, they were super comfortable with whoever it was, Allie or Lexi being you know around and chatting. And the other thing that was nice too was, I, you know, I was late twenties, so I could kind of relate to these kids, but at the same time, like my assistant could totally relate to these kids. And like, if an outfit, you know, if I couldn't make the right choice for like, if you know, the girls would inherently come out and say, do you think this looks good? And, and to me, like sometimes I could, I could say, yeah, you know, that, that matches. And I'd think more like background, things like that. Mm -hmm. But then like, uh, my assistants would be like, eh, you know, and they'd say something about, well, this clashes with this or blah, 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 blah. And you're yeah. not going to like the way your, whatever your hip looks or, you know, your, your upper arm looks, you know, they could take care of that stuff. Yeah. So it was, it, it worked out really well. Um, but anyway, so that's a long, you know, background to that piece, kind of the behind the scenes piece. But what I was saying before was what I really liked about the, um, the high school senior portraits was the interaction with the kids. Cause like you could just kind of see as you like progress through a session, they'd open up, but then they really got excited and they really liked it. And the coolest thing was we used to get, um, we used to get like the parents would come back and talk to us afterwards. So the session was pretty much primarily like me and my assistant and, and, uh, the kid just going around an area. Um, you know, we've, like we used to use Kent Lord house, over there, we used Point Rush, you know, we used all the different locations and the parent would pretty much stay behind. What we did from a business perspective was all of our sessions until the last year, we did um, in-person viewing and orderings. And so we had packages and my wife walked them through all of that stuff. And so they did all that back end stuff. And so that was really where, 
you know, the business became super profitable because we could kind of orchestrate how that worked and what worked for us from a cost perspective versus what worked for what our clients actually wanted. So we really hammered that out quickly, which is from a business perspective worked out really well. But the cool thing was like some of these parents would come back and you'd, you'd get like the shyest girl at Peru and her, we'd find out later that her mom would say like, oh my gosh, like after her session, she completely changed. Like she became more open. Like she got a lot more confident out in yeah. the public. And it was like, that's, that's, cool. that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, not to get, I, Galen's crying right now, by the way. I am. Um, <laughs> not to get super uh, emotional about things, but that was really cool. Um, and uh, so, but I really liked that, that one-on-one where like people were, people were a person, right? So it wasn't, they weren't just a click and you know, here's your pack, select your package and, and we'll ship it off to you. Like there's a lot of personal touch to it. And that's really probably not to, this sounds like a, a pre-orchestrated segue. Um, but that's what I really like about my business now is we focus primarily on, you know, people and, uh, you know, serving individual clients versus serving like massive corporations, things like that. Like that's how we really like our service oriented business with, financial advisory. So that's probably why I naturally gravitated to this side of the finance world versus the corporate side where you're just, you know, you're sitting behind the scenes and you're doing analysis or whatever it is that, that your gig is. You don't have a lot of one-on-one touch with the, the actual client. Like they're not sitting across from you and you're not sitting there and saying, Hey, these decisions that I'm going to help you make are literally going to mold how your future could potentially play out. So I think that's, you know, probably just all in all what I like out of a job. Yeah, no, I, I, from like a real estate perspective, I'm the same thing is that I always look at, you know, if you're taking care of the client's needs, then you're good. Meaning I don't, at no point in time, and I've, I've said this before, I've talked many people out of purchasing a home or even selling their home right. if it didn't make sense for them. And it's not one where they make the decision, but, you know, if you could have somebody wanting to sell and all of a sudden like we're going over numbers and I'm like, guys, like you're not going to be able to sell in the current market and make what you want. Like very, very conservatively. I know you're not going to do that. Not even like worst case scenario, meaning like best case scenarios you sell, like even like the odds you sell at what you want is a very low percentage. Like, mm-hmm. do you guys even want to do that? Or what do you want to do? And most of the time they kind of figure out for themselves, like, ah, we should probably hold off for another year or, which has got to be tough too, because once people, I don't know if I, I would assume you feel that way. Like once people make that decision, like, it's kind of like that's what they want to do. Oh, we should sell our house. So it's got to be tough to convince and, and some, them that. And some do. I mean, I don't. I I I like to. I'm kind of like you in the sense that I put all your options out on the table, and I'll explain it to you. I'll give you the pros. I'll give you the cons. I'll give you you know ask like this is what I'm like. This is what you're gonna walk away with. And I go over all that stuff up front because I'm very. Um, I'm kind of. Uh, I want to make sure that you know everything. So when we make a decision, it, there's nothing that was left unsaid or done mm-hmm. where you said, well, maybe that would have changed the way I made this decision because I didn't know right. factor X or Y. But I think once you get you push everything out there for people, it, it's very easy for them to make decisions when everything's out on the table. Right. And when it comes to buying a home, like this is why I talk to people why I'm doing the home. So what, why are you moving? What do you want? What's your situation? Like, and I get this a lot, it was just one example, but I get this a lot with, say, older people, and all of a sudden they're looking and they're downsizing, and I know they're late 50s, early 60s looking at a home, they ideally want a one-story ranch home, because of stairs, naturally, but then every once in a while they'll start throwing in some two-story places, or hey, I would like to look at that, and then 
I always got to kind of bring it down and say, well, I said, do you guys want stairs? Do you want two-story? Like, you can do whatever you want. If you want, I could care less. The home you buy. But they're like, well, no, ideally we want that. And then, But a lot of people get impatient in the sense that it's like anything else. They like they want to buy something. Like, I just want it now. And it's like, well, right. why don't we wait? Like, what happens if two, three, four, or even six months from now we, we come across something that's perfect, but we're not? And they're like, well, we could wait that long. So then I said, I know it's tough. But we gotta, you know, sometimes you just got to step back, right. trust the process, and just know that something better will come along. And I find... You know, at the end of the day, if I'm always looking at the, the client's best interests, like I really don't care. I mean, I've, I'm I'm to the point now where I've done well enough that if I get a sale or not get a sale, if somebody decides not to, you know, purchase now and wants to wait till next year, I'm totally fine. Like I'm right. I'm in a position now where I have enough business where I can I'm I'm good. But um, I mean, obviously, I would hope that I, I can sell them a home later on. I mean, I don't want to say like leave, don't don't ever use me, but it's the idea that. I'm not. I'm not one of those people that go out and I need to make a sale because I'm. I'm, I'm comfortable right. saying, "Hey, listen. The best case scenario is let's let's hold off for a year. I'll still be around in a year. We'll right. do this again. Right now, it's not the best scenario for you to purchase or sell or whatever. And most of the time, they they know that and and they need to hear it too. And a lot of times, that's all it is. They just need like a reassurance from somebody. Mm-hmm. And but there's times too when they're like, "Hey, this is my situation. Should I wait?" Or I'm like, "You're." You're good. Like you have the money to do it. I think now's a good time to do something historically based off of, you know, whether it be interest rates or bet or whether it be the supply in the market or the way I think the area is going to be growing. Like, no, I think right now is a good time. I wouldn't wait till next year. You mm-hmm. know, and there's times I had that conversation with people and people naturally, like I said, at the end of the day, I think especially we're both in businesses where the people matter more than anything. Absolutely. So if I know that I'm taking care of the needs of that person, then I'm good. And I think it's that's kind of always been my my guiding our North Star in business is that if I can take care of the client's needs, that I'm good. Like I will get the sales I need to get. I will, you know, make a living. I'll support my family. I'll be able to grow our company as long as my intention is that interest, or that client's best interest. Um, so that's why, and I think you, you guys, obviously in the financial world, are the same thing. Exactly. And the thing is, we both work in, and not to like, you know, talk down in other industries, but take like a car. Like cars don't really make or break people. You can. You can turn a car in. You can go get another car, different model. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're dealing with someone's home or you're dealing with someone's retirement or personal financing, those are really big things in their lives. It's like, huge. And, and it's not like you can all of a sudden buy a home and all of a sudden, well, I'm just going to return it next year and buy another one. I mean, you can, but there's you know, there's obviously you know, ra- you know, ramifications against that. And I always look at somebody's getting in a home that they're going to live in for 10, 20, 30 years. They're, that's a big decision for them. And mm-hmm. you talking with somebody, whether they be in their 20s or in their 50s, about you know managing their wealth for retirement, mm-hmm. like that's stuff that you take a hundred. Because if you if, even if like that's one of those things, even if you're off a little bit or don't know what you're doing, you know that could have a significant impact on someone's future. Yeah, and people make mistakes, and that's honestly that's I mean you, it's kind of a good segue, right? So you kind of prevent people from making mistakes from that one big purchase decision, and we can kind of help people, you know either prevent some mistakes that in you know naturally happen along the way because there, there's kind of a curve that that uh, people's financial life follows um, but then also make up for potential mistakes too if if we can get in there and you know make some changes or or at least you know shed some light on some areas that they may not be thinking about like you said you know interest rates aren't you know are great 
right now. They're going down. So maybe you do want to buy because you could lock that in and they might not be thinking about that. They might be thinking, well, the houses that I like are a little expensive right now. Should I really do that? Well, if interest rates go back up, who knows what, you know, that, that kind of stuff. So it's the same kind of thing for us, only it's, you know, different topics that we're, we're touching on. So yeah, you're absolutely right. It's, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's really good to be able to, you know, help a client through those decisions. Um, and honestly, that's probably the part of the part of the practice that I like probably the most. I think the, the investment side, um, because it is, it is a little bit more technical and it's a little bit more, um, you know, I don't want to say cut and dry cause it, it, it can be trying at times. Um, but if you can take the emotion out of it, the investment side becomes a little bit, um, more objective and it becomes a, a slightly easier and or I guess not, kind of repetitive, so to speak, because you're kind of making the same decisions and you can kind of look in the right avenues to make the decisions that you want based on most scenarios. You have those tools available to you. It just depends on how you allocate people's money. Um, but the part that's more interesting and is more dynamic is uh, the planning side where, you know, not typically not one client is like another. So everybody's situation is a little different. So that's really fun to get into, you know, the deep dive of, okay, where can we improve or where are you just, you know, you could just be doing really well and, you know, how can we keep that going? So that's, that's really, I really enjoy that side of the business. So like I take a look at like the financing aspect of it too. Like ideally you would think that somebody works with you, say they go see you in your, their twenties and they're with you for 40 years. Well, obviously, depending on how long you stay in business or, or stay in that field, but you, you can have really a lifetime relationship with a client, whereas sometimes we, I would like to, obviously, you know, I would love to, to sell you your first home and sell you your retirement home, provided we're roughly the same age and in business that long together. Right. But you have at least, you your clients can be, there's randomly some old dude with a shirt off, walk, like stumbling through the parking lot out there. Right next to the water sewage treatment. Plant. Yeah, I don't know. Never seen that before, but it's not that hot, buddy. It's yeah, what, well, seven, seventy degrees out right now. Sorry, I don't know. This is like a squirrel moment for me. I've never seen that. The other day, Ryan was walking down here, and I took a Snapchat of him, of Ryan and his wife, and I sent it to him. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> it's like I know this is creepy, but I, I see you guys. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know who that guy is. Sorry, sorry. Oh, he's stretching now. I think we need to go off on a full tangent. I think you might need to take a picture that people can look at later. I don't know what he's. Most of what jogging, jogging, jogging. I hear it's a soft J. Oh, there, there is a shirt. There's there shirt. is a shirt tucked available. His, tucked in his waistband. Just tucked in the waistband. What do you think he is? Probably, I'd say late fifties, early sixties. Late fifties. Gray. Yeah, definitely gray. Kind of like top. a salt and pepper. Yeah. Well, may, actually, you know what? I'm thinking sixties now that he's a little bit closer. I really hope he does some nice stretches on the uh, on the P- fence. Pour us, pour us. Was it your neck? Is that cervic? cervical oh yes really bad posture yeah yeah not, not the best um i'm sure we could we could uh, we could make a couple chiropractic recommendations yeah for him. yeah we could we get that guy back on the spine back on the straight and narrow so okay well he's gone now um so well i mean for, good for good, the, hey, for you know those what? listeners are like wait what what are you guys doing right yeah now? <laughs> actually that we should, I, I would do a podcast where all we do is just just Observe. comment like people watch oh, oh, the fair imagine if you went to the fair oh, and just gosh. said it's like my favorite pastime. I literally will sit in restaurants and just make up stories, like people's backstories. And do you say Some, this to people? Like you say this to your wife? I'll say it to my wife, okay. or I'll say it to people, and, say, and or or even like something as simple as like watching someone on the news. Just just develop a backstory. Oh my god, it's so much fun. Yeah, because there's some people. You, there's times I wonder, and again, I I think I kind of self-assess my 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 life at times, and I'm like, you know what, I'm 
I think I'm semi-normal, like on the spectrum. I'm sure I do some odd things. Like I would say you, like you're of clear like mind, you know, body, like you understand what you're doing. You have a, you know, it seems like you have a purpose in life and that you go about and do some good stuff in life. And then I look at some people, I'm just like, like I, someone told me the other day, like, how do they tie their shoes in the morning? Like, how do they do anything? Like, how do they, like, how do they make reservations? How do they check on, you know, these random odd things that I want, I really wonder the simple things in life. Yeah. And I just, I'm like, how do you go through the day to day? Like, how did you, you're older than me. So you went through much more of a life than I did, but how right. did you end up here and how did you navigate that on your own? Cause, cause you do wonder that with some people and it's, it, uh, you wonder how they're still able to function. Yeah. And, and, uh, but that, that's part of, I've always thought about this podcast of, just randomly grabbing someone off the street and just being like, tell me your story. Like, how did you get here? And just That's see, a dangerous game. It could, be a, train, it could like, be a train wreck. It could be a total train wreck or it could be, we could find some really like good gems, you know, kind of uh, diamonds in the rough. But man, it's, it's something I think about quite often when you're just people watching. The fair, that is on steroids, people watching. <laughs> and we went this year, uh, we brought the kids the first time I haven't been to the fair in years. And I was glad I brought the kids. It was a blast. And of course yeah. you go when it's, we went on zero rides. They're young. We, right. we ate fair food, which is a bonus for anybody. Oh, of course. And then we ended How up. How many Michigans did you eat? I had two and then I had a hot dog or hamburger. I mean, okay. I had a hamburger. No, no uh, what do they call that? I had fries. Uh, I had the fries. What's the fri- the fried dough? Was that out? I, uh, uh, Gina actually got fried dough nuggets, which are basically just balls of bread dough. Interesting. They're easier to eat. Oh, like you well, just basically sense. you can it's like it's like eating uh boneless wings or something yeah, versus it's great instead of having to pe- like peel the actual bread dough apart um, it's cheating obviously but other than that it's it keeps good. your hands cleaner it does. yeah so it was it was it was really good but <laughs> of course we like we walk around we're probably there for two and a half hours we went like probably around five we went to see a dog show for the kids and all this so then we had to walk around and you just meet a dog show okay no expand on this dog show. just dog show the dogs run they jump they do the little like obstacles oh, okay. they obstacle jump of course yeah it wasn't like it wasn't, it wasn't like, like the like westminster a, yeah. whatever it's called here's dog the show. dog and, and nobody understands westminster. what they're looking at no i mean let's be real and, the thing, and it always comes on at what is it after thanksgiving after football after, it comes no no on. no. it's after the parade it's and before the thanksgiving parade. Right. so everybody it's, watches everybody's it. watching and, and everybody thinks they're a super dog critic too like oh of course this this, this Doberman gonna is going to win. But yeah. I think I think what happens is, um, so wait, I'll d- divert quickly into the dog show. So we go to, we basically at the, the fair, we just end up talking to everybody we knew for two and a half hours. So you literally just walk around and run into people. Right. But it, uh, people watching, it'd be great to sit in one of the booths and just just have a podcast just about random people walking across. It'd be ba- amazing. Basically kind of like like iNews kind of thing, like eyewitness news. You just kind of go and like watch them. Yeah, get a little thing. just in. And a couple like little playback buttons with like sound effects. But um, no, the dog show. I could care less. I like dogs, but for some reason, I watch it every year. I usually, do too. The, everybody does. Usually, the females in the house are watching it between because right. everybody watches NBC from start to finish, pretty mm-hmm. much the entire day. Except football, I think is usually on CBS or NBC. Yeah, and then Lions are on Fox, right? I think the Lions are on Fox every year. Every year. and in Dallas, I watch every year because I want yeah. them to lose, and they play on CBS. I do too. I don't, I don't know. What's why. your football team? The Patriots. No, that's What's yours? I'm a Giant fan, but I have no nothing no, against the Patriots. Of course you don't, because you beat us twice. Well, even even that, I, this is the thing with the Giants or the the Patriots. In 2007, eight when they were undefeated, I was rooting for the Patriots hardcore. The Giants limped into the playoffs, oh, absolutely, and then they ended up getting to the the Super Bowl. My whole thing was, okay, great, Giants are in. They're going to lose in like the wild card division, whatever. So like, I'm going to watch them root. 
I want the Patriots to go undefeated. I hate 1972 Dolphins. I hate Mercury Morris. I hate all these guys because every year they throw a party because of the the undefeated team. Now, granted, they played less games. Well, yes, shorter schedule. Shorter schedule, and their their win per, their, their win uh, rate was way lower. They were winning games by points. Patriots were winning points. Patriots were annihilating. They were winning by like that year. by like 10, 20, 30 points. Yes. Like it wasn't even close. I would like to bring that. Actually, I'll, I'll probably bring it up while we're talking. But what the average win rate was between the two teams. So, long story short, obviously the Patriots lose. Like, I had a moral dilemma in my head going into that game. And I was like, damn, as a like, Giants why fan, are the Giants, actually... why are the Giants playing the Patriots? Because this is how bad I wanted to see an undefeated team. No other reason just to literally stick it to these guys that just run their mouths because they won 72. <laughs> Obviously, I was rooting for the Giants, but I was, I was a little like pissed that the Giants made it the same year the Patriots did. Because right. I, I like the Patriots. I've rooted for the Patriots in every Super Bowl they've ever played in, except really? the two against the Giants. Really? As a Giants I, fan, that's rare. I like, well, I like Tom Brady. That's also even more rare. Yeah, I, I have nothing. My, this is you my, mean you don't like your quarterback, Eli this is, Manning. We got a who's it? Daniel Jones. Did, now it's Daniel. Daniel Jones just yeah. started well, the first game I mean, of preseason. It, so yeah, but I don't think he's going to start no, regular no, season. No, I doubt it. But, but by week three, when Eli's got throwing, 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 throwing three, at, averaging three to four interceptions, lame a game. ducks. Yeah, he'll be in. So, which is good because I like Duke. Um, but so you like Duke? Duke basketball, I'm a Syracuse guy basketball. Yeah, me Syracuse. hate Syracuse. Love Syracuse. Hate Syracuse. We well, are from Syracuse. That makes sense. I, my my all time favorite basketball team. I will root for every game they play is the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. They're my favorite I, fo- favorite football they're team. They're my in college football team. team. Yeah, but as soon. Wow, we're really going on tangents. I haven't got a thought in. We just keep jumping around. So it's de- okay. So this is. We'll, we'll put a pin in the fair. We'll get back to it. We'll get back. Yes. Well, the fair is done. I just want to say people watch at the fair. Okay. Well, that's good. So the no the whole purpose of, the whole purpose of when the. Notre Dame and Syracuse went to the ACC because they were big, big East rivals. Mm-hmm. And I always, always, always rooted for Notre Dame. I would not root for the Cuse. This is the thing, though. If you gave me a third basketball team I'd root for, it would be Syracuse. Even as a Duke fan? It would be if, Duke, if Notre Dame's out of it and then Duke's out of it. Okay, so if, I if teams don't exist. Okay. If they don't okay. exist. Meaning, like, right. I, I will root for Syracuse all the way up to to the final game if that means they don't play either of those two teams. Gotcha. Because, I mean, they are like a local team, but I don't follow them. I don't root for them. If Duke or Notre Dame play them, I'm 100% going Duke or Notre Dame. Yeah. Not even a question. Don't I don't even care about, uh, I mean, Syracuse football, I like to see them do do well. I don't really watch them. It's, it's Notre Dame football. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I love Notre Dame football. But... And when it comes to basketball, I could care less what Notre Dame does. It's it's Syracuse I'm a, all day. I'm a big like like Mike Bray. I used to watch it back when they had uh, Chris Thomas and mm-hmm. uh, Chris Quinn and um, God. I mean, I'm I'm kind of drawing blanks on some of the names now. I'm but basically I used to watch a lot of the basically. Br- it was like a slightly pre mellow and then mellow on. Yeah. So what's was that? that was, was that 04? 03 is they won it. 03, 03 yeah. and then uh, and then mellow left. What about uh? And, um, what the heck's his name? I'm drawing a blank on it now. My boy was Jerry McNamara. No, it was after Jerry. After Jerry, Greg Paulus. Oh yeah, Syracuse boy that went to, uh, to so, Duke. So he was and then a went back to play boy, Syracuse. Played uh, for Christian Brothers Academy. We yep, used to CBA. play that in lacrosse yep. in uh, high school, and uh, so he went to play basketball at Duke. And I tell you what, it was like the return of the golden boy. When he came back to Syracuse, and he had a stud of a year too. He only played one year, right? He could, he could only play one year, yeah. Because what is it? You get 
You get four years five. in one sport, and you can have a fifth year in another sport in D1, I think. Oh, gotcha. Got yeah, it. unless you've redshirt or whatever. Um, but, yeah, he was a true freshman when he played at Duke. So, um, yeah, he was he was fun to watch. I watched a lot more Syracuse football. And I'm, I because grew up not liking CBA because we used to play them. It's somewhat of a rivalry for probably, our schools. He's about your age, then, right? Greg yeah, Paulus. I think he's maybe two years younger than me. I think he's your age. Oh, is he? I think he's could, 31 he now, probably. I'm a, well, he's between us then. Between us? Yeah. But I remember, that. I mean, that's four years out of football, too. That's four years out of football, and he came back and started for a D1 school D- and threw dimes. I, I think, and, and I got I to gotta verify this, I think that... I think that he was recruited by Notre Dame to play both football and basketball at the time, too. And I'd have to go back in the memory banks on that and do do a little Google on that thing. But I, I'm almost positive he chose Duke basketball. So I could have I, I could have been a huge Craig Paulus fan then. Yeah, because he almost, I say almost, I, I believe the offer was on the table to play both football and basketball at Notre Dame. Where, I'm pretty where he sure would he, have been he probably was rec- starting. He was recruited at Syracuse too, and he just needed to get out. That was his big thing was getting out, which uh, disappointed a lot of people. But we obviously forgot that real quickly when he came back to Syracuse to play football. Yeah, you weren't burning LeBron jerseys out. Or no, yeah, we, jerseys. well, you, you don't exactly burn high school jerseys. Yes. Although we did in high school when we got our hands on a crosstown rival jersey. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, well, that's uh, okay. So, so, so uh, I don't know. We're, we did a bunch of stuff there. Uh, Football. I just went. I've just blacked out the last like ten minutes. We just yeah. talked a lot of sports. A lot of sports. Um, okay, so to tell us lacrosse. Um, lacrosse is one of the sports with cricket and rugby. <laughs> That's where you're classifying us. Well, I played yeah. it, so obviously cricket to me. I my one of my good friends from college is is Indian, and so that was my introduction to cricket. And I still don't understand well, it at well, all. Cricket, rugby, and lacrosse are the. No, I'm saying are like three of the sports that I don't know the rules to. Okay. But lacrosse looks great, and I think there's a really strong chance, if my son likes it, that he would play lacrosse because I know it's gaining popularity here. It's it's I mean literally just think it's hockey on on turf. It, if it you can a, start to like think of it that way, it's so much fun. I had a blast. I I played baseball. You know, a typical North Country kid. You play baseball pretty much your whole life. I played baseball up until high school. And I wasn't really, didn't really like baseball. I was like a mediocre baseball player. I could start, but I was, you know, I batted eighth or ninth or, you know, I was just a fast kid that was decent in the field. Um, And so when I got to, uh, right before I switched schools, public school to private school, um, we, I got into lacrosse. I met um, the English teacher who was the head coach of the, um, of the varsity team at the time. He said, well, there's a, we're doing a summer league. You should check it out if you if you're interested. You know, you should come play that. And I was hooked ever since. Um, that was a ton of fun. So played played in ninth grade, um, and then played right up through high school, and then ended up at uh, at Plattsburgh State to play lacrosse there as well, which was just an absolute blast. Um, but yeah, I love this sport. I wouldn't necessarily, but I would say I wouldn't classify us in in with cricket and rugby, but we are a little bit more obscure, I guess, to the average person. Um, cause I don't understand. I watch rugby every time it's on TV and I still don't understand it. Why, why are you able to run the ball in or kick the ball? I don't know. I know you can only throw backwards though. You can throw backwards, but, but you, you can I mean, kick you it forward and still end up with the ball. There's so many rugby players that I went to college with that are probably, if they're listening to this, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> well, they know I'm on it. So obviously they're following. That, that's it. Yes. 
Yeah. We'll give, yeah. Check it out. We're going to give, give ourselves link. a ton of credit right now. We'll give them the link. We'll, we'll give them the link. But so I, I, I don't understand rugby. It looks like a ton I, of fun. Yeah, it looks great. I think lacrosse looks like a blast. I, do, I just don't understand the rules. I'm sure they're easy. I'm sure if I've just like watched a how to play rugby on like yeah. YouTube, and like that's really 10 what it comes minutes, down you could to. just figure it out. Because, But I know that it's picking up steam with a lot of younger kids. Mm-hmm. And to me, like I love baseball. I'm, I grew up playing baseball. I, I don't follow it as much as I used to. If the Expos come back, I definitely will. Um, I don't know if you saw. I got Here's the, to 2022, hopefully. Yeah, I got the Vladimir Guerrero signed bat there. Oh, nice. Yeah, I, I just picked that up. A buddy of mine had it, and uh, he knew I was a big Vlad fan. It's signed. Are you a Vlad Jr. fan, too? Uh, I am now, yeah. And so I got a bunch of stuff written down. Last line he has on there is HOF 2018. He signed that in Cooperstown during his induction. Yeah, so I'm pretty pumped. I got a ba- I got a bat signed by him or ball signed by him personally, like when I was a kid. That's awesome. Yeah, so the, the signature is legit because I have his signature on almost. This like, needs three to be or four encased. It's go- it's going to it's going to go up on my shelf up there or in a safety vault somewhere. But I'm excited. Oh, you got to display it. I, I'm pumped because he's my like I don't buy a lot of memorabilia ever. It's my first yeah. thing I've ever bought. The biggest thing because I re- one I don't I'm not a big I don't really care I don't need to collect stuff like that. Right. Um. Some people like getting photos of people and things like. That's not my cup of tea, but this, there's so much nostalgic, like meaning to that because yeah. he was. If I had to pick a perf- or just a favorite player growing up in any sport, it was that the Expos were my all-time favorite team. I loved the New York Giants, but I I did not follow them as much as I did the Expos. Gotcha. And obviously, Vlad was the stud for them. Right. And for many, I mean, there were some guys obviously in the '80s. He had phenomenal. And then where teams. where did he go after that? Did he go to the Angels? The Angels. So he left the year before they left, I believe. And he went out and he won the AL MVP the first year he was there. Yeah. And I mean, we had watched him. He was, I think, in the forty forty club when he played. Well, that's the Expos. what everybody said about the Expos. It was like breeding ground for players to just. It was. It was like mm-hmm. a, a glorified farm team for the rest of the MLB. Yeah, I mean, there was once players got good, they just left. And they were phenomenal players. And I mean, you take like Randy Johnson, Pedro Martinez, Larry Walker. Um, Moises Alou. Um, I mean, all these these stud players that were Hall of I say Hall of Famers were future Hall of Famers or are Hall of Famers right. that started there. Fun fact that people don't know: Tom Brady, I believe, was drafted by the Expos. Was he really? I think so. I got a picture. I want to fact check that. I think he was drafted in the two 2000- thousand. Don't fact check it, people. I'm going to believe you. I think so. I said it with enough conviction. Say it with right. conviction. But I, I we'll th- edit all this part out right now, I and we'll think- go back to where you said Tom Brady was drafted by the Expos. I'm almost positive he was. Never went. He obviously ended up going to play football, but right. he got drafted, I think, while he was still in Which, Michigan. Thank God. My gosh. Imagine that. Oh, God. How many Expos champions? Would, how, would, many, how many perfect games would have been thrown so, by Thomas? Well, or how many championships would we potentially not have won? Because Drew Bledsoe. All six. Who would have been coming <laughs> off the bench? Nobody was thrown to Wes Walker. All six. No, God, I love Wes Walker. I am so. I am so to talk about the Patriots because I love them. Um, I am, I am player kryptonite for the Patriots. Though, like, if you want a player to stay on the team, don't let me buy their jersey. The minute I buy their jersey, they get traded. It's awful. It's horrible. So you just got to buy the the non numbered. Yeah, I just got to buy like I, I'll, I'll be that. So what's the last I'll be jersey that, you bought? That loser Wes was Walker. It? Oh, and was then that, we lost. Say, him. Was it Edelman? No, I, no, 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 not Edelman. Uh, Amendola. No, I didn't buy Amendola. I almost did that year. Don't though. buy, don't buy Edelman because I like him. <laughs> I love Edelman. Yeah. I mean, let me, let me 
say this. I do love Edelman. He's a little bit too cocky for me. I like cocky people, but he's like, he's like steroid cocky. You know what I mean? Like you can tell that yeah, there's just hey, some rage MVP. underneath MVP. there. That's it. But I do love him. Um, he's the uh, he's the name of one of my uh, one of my fantasy football teams is uh, Ladies and Edelman. I think that's a pretty good name. Ladies and I like that. But uh, anyway, so I'm not gonna buy Edelman's jersey. I'm thinking I might buy like a Brady next year because he's gonna go out anyway so do, do uh do you play fantasy football a lot like you big into that you know i used to be when we were in college we used to do it all the time and then i took a like a 10-year hiatus and then last year a buddy of mine his uh one of his buddies had to bail on the league and so i joined him I'm like oh my god i forgot how awesome fantasy football is so and now i'm i am deep into it how many how many teams how many leagues you in? i'm only in two leagues I can't handle more than that. I mean, with two kids and a so, wife that hates fantasy football. So this, this is actually a good, this is what, so I'm in two. I'm in a high school buddy league, which is the first year of minute. And I'm in one, my wife's run for years, which like, that's pretty cool. Like Ryan's in it. So this is my thing. G- Gina loves football. I think more than I do. Oh my God. Which, which is awesome. That's it's amazing. awesome because, because who's her team? 49ers. She's a 1990s girl. At heart. Wow. So she's got, how many rice jerseys does she have? None, but we have we have some 49ers stuff around the house. Young or Montana? Uh, it would have been young. Yeah. Really? Yeah, Montana was a little too... too. Well, that was like he's more 80s. Yeah. Young but, was 90s. I mean, Montana was just like... Yeah, well, I'm sure she still likes him. Notre Dame, Golden Domer. But the uh, but Steve Young was de- definitely like the Jerry Rice, Steve Young right, era. Right, so, right, right. Uh, but that was when they were winning. That's why there's so many Dallas Cowboy fans that are our age because they grew up watching Dallas in the 90s. Correct, right. Um, I was a Giants fan. My dad was a Giants fan. They won like the year after I was born, I think, and of course, obviously, I didn't know anything back then. But well, you got to you you were raised during LT's prime, so that was fun to watch. Well, I, I yeah, so I, I watched the Giants. I really no, actually, to be honest, LT a little bit, but I really came into football like around like the Jason Seahorn era. Like basically, oh, was okay. A little bit I didn't later. start watching football until I was ninety six. Ninety six was the first Super Bowl I remember, which I believe Green Bay played like the Broncos. The Broncos, and, yeah, and, and uh, they won. John L- John Elway won. Didn't, didn't the, Broncos, no. the Broncos win that one? The Broncos won, I think, 97, 98. I remember okay. those. I remember 96. I think Green Bay was won. was the last one. And then 99 was, I think that's when St. Louis had a couple back-to-backs with like the Kurt Warner, Marshall Falk, yeah, Isaac yeah, yeah. Bruce, that, yeah, Torrey Because it, it was Rams, uh, what a, was, it Oil, was it Titans by then? Titans, I think they were 2000. So then I think this, I think they won in 99. I think, But they lost to the Rams and they lost to the Rams, right? Titans did, yes. Yeah. But I back then I had like well rest in peace but Steve McNair and I had the uh, Eddie George jerseys. Yeah. I remember having that because my cousins were from Tennessee. Okay, so we had, like I go down and I get like they were they weren't like the they were still pretty pricey but they weren't like the patched ones. They were right. like the, the but you know who cares? But I had those jerseys where they started to peel. That's why. But I, yeah. I guarantee I probably still have them at my parents' house somewhere. Um, but I'm not buying my kid a patched jersey. Those things cost like three hundred dollars. Oh no, well. I might just to make sure he's not a San, a San Francisco Forty uh, ers fan. So, but I think I think by by de- well, this is the problem by default. Like our family, my father in law is a big Patriots fan. My dad and me are Giants fans, and my wife's obviously a Forty ers fan. So, what's Derek? I think he's what is Derek? I think Derek's Giants. Really? I think Derek's Even Giants. With a- I don't know if he watches a lot of football. I, th- I think he's a Giants fan though. Really, really, the only thing that me and Derek really talk about. Because he's in the league, also his, his uh, team name is uh, We Need More Cowbell. So, but he's—I don't think he's a Dallas fan. So, but the uh, you know the only thing that me and him really talk about is Tiger Woods. 
Oh, I love Tiger Woods. On golf. So actually, this is just going to, this might be another hour of just golf let's just, talk. Let's just get into it. We're just going to open up the, no, the same with fantasy football though. We should get, we should get like a young professional um, game. I'm totally on Would board. Would you do it? Absolutely. Let's talk about this right after this is done and we'll make some texts because we still have we time. We still have time. As I'm saying, if we I got a draft, up, I got a draft tomorrow night. And then, uh, honestly, I, I would. For another draft. I'd prefer just to either do that or just do an auto draft and not just roll with it. Unless you guys are very big on picking. Oh, we're picking, baby. Okay. Can we do like a night? We just say let's do a night draft night. Let's let's go somewhere. Well, we went to Buffalo Wild Wings. We sat out on the deck and did it with my buddies. It was good. It was fun. I'm done. We only had ninety seconds to pick, so it was pretty quick. But wow, that is quick. But everybody was just like, whatever. I mean, I don't really know. I honestly, I didn't even know half the guys were holding out in their contracts. I had first one was Ezekiel Elliott, and they're like, "Oh, not like he's hanging, holding on his contract." I'm like, what do you mean? They're like, no, I don't think he's going to levy on Bell. Well, this is what they're telling me. So I'm like, geez, geez. So I grab. Then to come find out, one of my buddies gets Andrew Luck. Well, he's out. So, <laughs> so I mean, there's like in my league, somebody got Andrew Luck, and then I almost so, picked him. I took Matty Ice. So I, I for I don't know if I already said this, but for all of our listeners out there, I had my phone. I did say this. My phone stolen in Boston this weekend. It was awful, and I. I saw, I was watching updates of the of the preseason game. I don't know. Don't ask me why I was watching updates of a Colts preseason game. And I saw that he was announcing his retirement. And I immediately said, I'm going to go pick up Jacoby Brissett. Because it's just going to be, I already, it's, we, we're in a two-quarterback league. It's awesome. Is he the so, backup? So much fun. No, I don't, I don't have, I didn't oh, have running back. But, no, Jacoby, oh yeah, Jacoby Brissett is his backup. And so I'm like, I'm gonna pick him up because it's gonna totally screw people. So I'll just I'll just carry three quarterbacks, and then I'll have one good starting quarterback. Because typically in our league, because it's a two quarterback league, once you get to that, once you get to those bye weeks, your quarterback you end up with like a crap quarterback. Sometimes they don't even start because pretty much all the starters have been drafted. Wait, a two quarterback league means two guys are starting every two week? starting quarterbacks, dude. Our points are through the roof. It's so much fun. I've never played in a league like this before. It is it's wild. So I'm, much I've fun. I've never seen that. Okay. And uh, so I I went to pick him up and I was like, I don't have a phone. I literally logged in. I like downloaded Yahoo Fantasy onto my wife's phone. Like tried to log in and it said we're gonna have to verify your ideas. Like, okay, quick, let's let's get this done. Oh, what email? No. And it was a text to my cell phone in order oh. to verify the idea. I was like, damn it! So I finally get my phone. I finally get into like a computer when I get back home. And a buddy of mine had already picked him up, and he picked him up at like nine forty-seven that night. And I was looking at it at like nine thirty or whatever it was. I was like, damn, that would have been a great steal. Because my team is, I'm a little bit. I've got a couple. Uh, I got a couple. Uh, potentially questionable guys that are injured right now i'm hoping i'm hoping amari cooper plays i got, I got him um uh, hoping he plays and then uh sterling shepherd is a, a decent i thought was a decent backup i didn't realize how injured he was and then uh emmanuel sanders is another one of my wide receiver backups who's uh who just had achilles broncos. yeah broncos yeah. just had achilles surgery and apparently he's recovering really well but he's also 30 three or 34 years old and i'll tell you what that's you might as well be 80 mm-hmm. if you have surgery when you're playing you're, on that level yeah, yeah when you're playing at that level so anyway so that was uh yeah i don't know even where i'm going with this but i think we should talk about tiger um no we can but I, we'll, we'll come back to that fantasy football i'm sure how many, how many people would you need in that i think you need a minimum i think you should have at least eight eight we could probably get 12 12 would be fun i think it would be good and then we just talk shit and everybody puts some money in yeah you can be the commissioner so you can be in charge of all of it put, put, put money in the kitty or whatever and yeah then, and then i think we should do that all in everybody pays in like Hundred bucks or something. Hundred bucks. Well, that's more expensive than my only paid league. Is it? 
Yeah. We don't have to. We just what do you bragging. guys do in your leagues? None. I don't pay anything. I don't, really? I'm just saying. It would be just kind bragging of, rights? Or we just all pitch in five bucks and we buy some just generic trophy that just gets we need circulated. A we need a trophy. Uh, the the, the, the Shiva. The Shiva. The, the Shiva. Shiva. But I want a trophy that we can actually put the nameplate on every year. Let's do it. And you can't change your fantasy name. Do you want to? We'll, we'll talk about this with like dynasties and stuff. And yeah, yes or no's. Okay, we'll, we'll we'll talk about that. I think that will happen. So, so Tagger. So me and Derek. Tagger's playing usually majors. Like I watch That's all the time. Pretty much all he plays now. Yeah, he'll and, play like one invitation. The Bridgestone. He'll play the Bridgestone because it's yeah, basically his invitation. He'll play a few, but I think the biggest thing is when. I shut down for four tournaments a year that I really watch. Like the Tour Championship, which had a very good leaderboard this past week, and I was going to watch it. God, it was awesome. But I, I didn't have any time. I was just doing stuff around the house and projects. And I, to be honest, I probably watched seven holes the entire weekend. Me too. And I, I was checking it periodically. Like I'd watch it and like watch a couple shots and then back to do something else. When the majors are on, I'm out. Like my schedule's cleared. Friday, Saturday... With appointments and stuff, very. If I'm in the office, I have it on, and my focus is like seventy percent there. It depends on who's playing too. Um, if Tiger's playing, I'm a hundred percent watching him. Now, back in the day, I was. How great was this year? This year, I mean the the, the Masters. I, mean, I think we were all talking about it with the Masters. Absolutely, like, you know, just chit chatting prior to him even playing, unless like you know. But I was always a. I'm a Phil guy through and through. Phil guy. I always really? been a Phil guy. Yes. And really. But as we've gotten more and more, like the comeback of Tagger, I found myself drifting more into the Tagger camp of just like, can he do it? Can How he? can you not? I well, mean, it's, it's... Well, Phil is at the point now where like anything he gets now is bonus. But even if he wins another major, it's like, great, that's cool. But he's not chasing history. No. Tagger still he, is. Because he can't. No, and Tagger still is. And you're like, damn, like he could still do it. Yeah. It's because, just what, one more? One more to tie? Or is it one more to, what, one no, more no, to lead? No, no, no. He tied... I believe he tied Byron Nelson. Or no, sorry. No, Byron Nelson has uh, 82. Tagger's at 81 wins right wins. now. But it's also majors is... Uh, no, he's still... He has 15. He's three. He needs four to break Jack's. Oh, I th- Jack is... 18. 18? Oh, I thought it was 16. 18. So Tagger, wow. Tagger still has some work but Jack, to do. Uh, but Tagger's younger than when Jack was still playing. Well, J- Jack won his last one at 46. Tagger's like 42 or 43. Right. But granted, Jack did that back in the 80s. Tagger now with technology and and with recovery and everything else, there's a reason why Tom Brady's his age playing in the NFL still. Right. Tagger, you think about it, there's obviously a lot of torque and yeah, emotion, but he's, but he's yeah. not getting hit by guys. So realistically, if he plays his cards right, well, like Phil's he said, 49. Yeah, and, and the thing is, I mean, look back at was it um, Greg Norman at one of the Open Championships? Tom Watson at one of the Open Championships yep. were like t- Tom Watson had a 10 foot putt for the win, I believe. Yeah. And he just pushed it, or was it to get into a playoff or whatever? I think it was for the win. Sam, what year? Was- this this might have been. This was within the last ten years. Tom Watson probably two thousand okay eight nine ten something like that was in the I believe the final pairing or whatever, and he he pushed I think a ten foot putt for the for the win. And you're talking oh at the time I think he was like pushing sixty late fifties when um. Greg Norman did it. He had, the, I think, the lead on Sunday at one yeah. point. He was 56. Yeah, but you can't do that in this day and age with these bombers out there. But this was within the last 10 years. But think about how how much the game has changed in the last 10 years. It's gone from a finesse game to a you need to be long. And if Tiger can't be long... Yeah, but Tiger still is long. 
Like that's the he thing. is right now. But I still think even if even if Tagger drops ten yards on his drive, sure. Even if he drops ten yards, he can still on a lot of those courses, especially Augusta. He's got would, the best approach game out of pretty much anyone. But he's played it so often. I mean, really, there's a few that are like if you take no matter what the Masters and British Open, I think he's in no matter what for as long as he can because you the length of those courses they'll never get long enough where though U.S. Opens they can lengthen. Yep. Um, and PGA's they can lengthen. And well, they lengthened. They lengthened Portrush. They, they extended four holes out this year. They did or two but, holes, but you still got to think it's it's a very it's a very low to the ground game. Yeah, you can still true. run up a, a three wood or a wood up to like instead of hitting a six iron in, he's he's running up a five or a four. But to be honest, those guys are so good. Right. Yes, it might make a little bit of a difference over the weekend, but you still got to be able to sink putts and things like that. Like right, he right. is, I still think he legitimately can and i think it was a john daly that still is still like he's still gonna break his record even this whole time john daly's always been like he'll still break it because he just knows tiger and i'm like and jack won't even talk about it like if you bring up tiger he just doesn't say which is weird he which like is he, weird it's like tiger doesn't exist because he knows i don't know why he doesn't want were, someone to break his record i thought they were friendly i didn't i don't know if they're friendly because if jack everything does, you hear sounds like jack just is totally bitter, like an old that Tiger is close to his record. He's not. In the grand scheme of things, unless you're Tiger Woods, you are not close to that record. Four majors for oh. the average golfer, you bet you might as well kiss your career goodbye. Like if your 100%. career depends on that, no 100%. way. Yeah. And and I think you're talking. I mean, if you think that he wins one major a year from now on, which is an extremely lofty goal, he breaks it. Like 46, 47 like Jack. And that's probably what he's going to have to do. I I think that he's going to end up... I think that he's legitimately going to have to end up going into most likely his early 50s to do it. I think Tiger's going to be able to do it, but I think it's going to be over the next... I gotta, I gotta look this up. I I just want to see... I I want to see how old he actually is. I don't think Tiger can can hit a golf ball after 48. I think he's just going to be... After 48? He's had three back surgeries. In one fusion. In one fusion. I watch too much. I listen too much of that. For all of you that don't listen to the Four Play Pod, you need to download it and Why subscribe. We start and start s- one of those damn things. Oh my god! Well, we talked about it at the tournament, but then we had a few too many claws, and I think everybody forgot about it. I hope it doesn't rain tomorrow because we might really if it rain. It. If it rains tomorrow, I'm going to be so disappointed. So we totally need to start one of those. If it was me, Ryan watches a lot of golf. You know who else watches a lot of golf too? Forrest and Casey. Yeah, we could easily get a golf podcast. People would hate it. People would hate it, but we would love every, you know, the two hours that we get together and talk about golf, we would love every second of yeah. it. Because I could just sit there. I, I would nerd out. I'm a big golf and guy. And you've, you've got golf history knowledge. I don't have golf history knowledge. For, for, I will, I, my golf history knowledge will go back into my, like, give me 10 years ago, my knowledge of golf and it was through the roof. I, I've taken a hiatus over the last 10 years. My I'm, golf history I'm, knowledge I'm literally has it. this, like, big gap in it when I stopped playing and watching golf. He's 43. 43. So he's one a, year also, puts him at 40, this let's call it 48, because by the time the season starts next year. Yeah. I think it's, I don't know, man. I really don't Second think that he can time. keep swinging a golf club at the caliber that he needs you, to. You want to know a fun fact also? This is a pretty incredible stat. When you start going through the stat line of this guy, and oh, by the way, has it's a pre- be presidential outrageous. medal of freedom. Just throw that in there. No, no big deal. FedEx, FedEx Cup champion twice. Yep, the Byron Nelson Award, which I think is the most wins in a season, 
He's won that multiple times. The Varden Trophy, Player of the Year. Okay. Obviously, you only get one chance to win Rookie of the Year. He did it. So if you go through all these, <laughs> so he's second all time in the PGA Tour for wins. What was his rookie year? Was that is that nineteen ninety six? How old was he? He was born in 75, 21 years old. So he's twenty one. Yeah, which doesn't seem that. That's not as young as I. Because then he won the he won the Masters at twenty two, which is young. But That's, but yeah. Jordan Spieth was pretty close. Yeah, I think he was. He was. I think Jordan Spieth was like six months older. You know his full name is Eldrick Taunt Woods. T O N T is his no. middle name. I thought it was Tiger. It's not Tiger's yeah, no nickname. Idea. Taunt Ta- Eldrick Taunt T O N T. So sorry, back back up. So PGA Tour wins. He was second all time at eighty one. European Tour wins. Forty one. He's third all time on European Tour. On What's the, the record on European Tour? I'm, I'm checking it's got to be now. through the roof. It's got to be a bunch of guys that just played the European Tour well, only. Yeah. Oh my God. This is an insane. Wow. Okay. So European Tour wins, and you've heard of almost all these golfers. So top five all time, Nick Faldo at 30. Of course. Colin Montgomery at 31. Wait, 31? I thought you just said Tiger had 41 wins. I'm going from top. I'm going oh. from fifth. No, no, Nick Faldo's fifth. Fifth. Okay. Colin's fourth at 31 wins. No majors. Tiger Woods. 41. Third? In third. In second, Bernard Langer at 42. Bernard Langer. 42. 42. So Tiger's so only one behind him. Okay. Lifetime, all-time, 50 wins. So Tiger's within 10. Obviously, he's not going to break it, but... Because he's not going to play But he never European played on tour. it. Was Seve Ballesteros. Really? Yeah. So Seve I, is amazing. So, so I just never... That was... That's that's an odd fa- fact. I didn't know. He has 41 European tour wins, which don't count towards his PGA tour wins. Right. So, what's his career total of? Before I'm assuming, but that doesn't. So he's count. over 100. And, yeah, but has he won out in like Japan? Has he won in Dubai? Because he played. Has he, he won played, in Australia? Did he? Didn't he tee up for a Korean one of the Korean tours? He's playing in the Japanese tournament coming up. Yeah. He just had knee surgery. Yeah. Just his, had what, what was it? Fifth knee surgery or sixth knee surgery? Yeah, something like that. But they they said it's not. It was just kind of a minor. He, just a minor. I don't even know if he went under the under the knife. He probably just did a little quick. Inpatient or outpatient kind of thing, um, but did you watch the uh, the golf channel video of him? No, which wait, what what video? went through is every it? single one of his wins? No, I heard about. It. I heard it was amazing. I gotta watch. So it. it's it's about an hour. And is tw- it YouTubeable? Hour and a half, or is it golf channel? We had, we had YouTube TV, and I could watch it on there. It was under I think on the golf channel. Okay, if you have any access to the golf channel, I'm sure you can go watch it. It was well produced. It was an, like an hour and a half of every single win, every single win. Through and he, every single one, they, went, wow. had, they showed the score, runner-up, his scorecard, where it was, and they had little interviews, almost from every single one. A couple of them they went over quick, but it wasn't like most of them. There was quite a bit, and a lot of his wins, obviously, as his majors, he's won a lot of World Golf Championships. Like he's won the the Firestone like seven times. Yeah, he won the Match Play. He's won, you know, uh, you, you look at the. World Golf Championships, which I think happened four times a year, he played in all those, and he won a lot of those. Right, right. So I, I think he, he just won one last year. Last year he won the Tour Championship. Tour Championship, which is the one they just played. Right. But there was a, there was a handful that he he won that were under the WGC yep. like title, and then he won a bunch. Of, I mean, a couple of random ones. He won like the Walt Disney Classic. This is back when he first started, like the Honda Classic. Right, like, all right, these right. ones he never even plays anymore. But it was kind of cool to watch him in it. At one point. 
which just makes it how nuts it was. Like he gets up and he's in an interview. You might have seen this, and Curtis Strange is interviewing him. Okay. And Curtis is sitting there and he's doing the interview and he says something to Tiger Woods and he goes, Well, what's your goal coming out here? He goes, He goes, I wanna I wanna win every week I tee up. And he and he kind of laughs. He goes, he goes, yeah, well, that that's not gonna happen. He goes, well, that's that's my goal. And Tiger's like straight face, like that's what I'm gonna do. And he goes, he goes, well, yeah, but he goes, second and third's not bad either. And then Tiger goes, goes, yeah, second third's not bad, but he goes, I want to win. And Curtis kind of gives him like this little shot. He goes, oh, you'll learn or something like that. And then all of a sudden, like that's kind of how the the thing started out. Oh, and I, I mean, obviously, if I was Tiger back then. Obviously, at the time, he's probably like 21 years old, right? Like you're almost to the point where you'd be like, "Yo, listen, buddy!" Like you'd almost get in a fight because Curtis was kind of a dick to him during yeah. the whole thing. So then it ends up going like they just start racking off, and he started playing at like the Las Vegas Invitational or something mm-hmm. like late in the season, and within like five months or something like that, because he went from '96 into '97. So like right. Masters was his first major as a professional that he won, and he won like four tournaments. Like the Masters was like his fourth or fifth or sixth win. And he started Leading like late the- in the 96 season. And this was already the start of the 97. That was like, he already had won, like I said, maybe five times prior, Holy three, four, cow. five, six times prior to that match. So they're just sitting there like, uh, yeah, he's won. He already had a couple back-to-back wins. He had a few. He has the second longest at win streak, I think, at eight tournaments in a row or seven or eight. Who's first? Byron Nelson has 11. Oh, okay. Yeah. That, that will never be beat. That that, that no, one, I think, a- that's like the, that, or what is it, the... Uh, was it the Lou Gehrig single or the hit streak from baseball? Like games in a row with a hit? It's, it's like Gehrig? S- it's not a... Is it Gehrig? I may have that wrong. It's a... Or is it Mantle? I don't know. Is it? Is it a Yankee? It's, it's a, a Yankee. Yankee. It is a Yankee. I'm almost... Po- I thought it was Lou Gehrig. It might be. He had, like, he had the most hits in a row. Um, and I remember like anytime someone gets to like 30, they're like on the watch. And I'm like, you still have to get 60 something or something like that. Like baseball, <laughs> that, that, that one's going to be a hard one to touch. But... Yeah, it's 11 wins in a row, so he had like... You can't get that. It's just impossible. Well, in today's day and age, you can't. I mean, right. Tiger had the chance to do it. I mean, it, the best golfer now, I would say if you wanted to tee it up every week, is Brooks Kepka, and he's not even like that. He's not going to tee it up every week. Well, well, I mean, it doesn't... And if he does, he doesn't well, care. Well, no, it, it, sorry, I should say it's Tiger won eight tournaments that he played. It wasn't necessarily eight weeks, right, but like right, every, right. when he teed up, he you won. You have to win. Yeah. Like you have to be entered into count. I don't think Brooks has that in him. No, he doesn't care. He doesn't like golf. There, there's not there's not one golfer that I know right now that because Tiger. That's the thing. Like you watch this video, it's an hour and a half of just like literally just Tiger, Tiger, breathing tiger. golf, and, and it is incredible because everything was. And of course, I just signed up for a twelve ninety nine freaking six video subscription. You watch that? You watch the first one? I did. Did you? Did you sign? You signed amazing. up too? Did you sign? Yeah, of course. Yeah, we're, I we're can't wait. I haven't. I haven't started watching the second one yet. To be honest, I'm disappointed because I think it was just an easy way for them to get twelve bucks out of me. Absolutely. Because do you subscribe to Golf Digest? No, you got to. The I articles to. are amazing. I used to. You know who is an amazing? I, I would never read them. You know, you got to read them. I, I literally I, when like, I was a kid I read them all the right time. before right before bed I'll read an article every single article I've ever read in Golf Digest is Good. unbelievable yeah, all the, it, it's all well the like done. it is well all done. the uh, the actual articles not like the tips and the tricks and like honestly if you're a golfer and you're reading Golf Digest and you're trying to do all this stuff that they suggest yeah, in there you, your golf cream's gonna suck yeah um, but so I read the article you remember the uh, uh, was it the waste? Is it the waste management? Is that the one that's at TPC Scottsdale mm-hmm. um, with Gary Woodland and that? Um, oh, little girl. And that girl. Yeah, freaking cried when he when they played oh it before, before uh, the U.S. Open. They did the whole thing, and I'm sitting there like tearing up. Oh my god, it was amazing. Yeah. And so 
um, they have this huge expose on on Gary Woodland and his relationship with this girl. Gary Woodland is now top three, my favorite golfers, yeah. just Good based dude. on like he's. And everybody says so. They they had other stuff in the article where people are just like, Gary Woodland is the nicest guy on tour. He's just a nice guy. And like when I first saw him, I'm like, he wear, kind of wears that straight brim hat. You know, he's got that basketball background. I'm like, yeah. okay, this guy thinks he's, you know, kind of like a Brooks Kepka feel. Like he or just Dustin thinks, Johnson or yeah, yeah, Dustin Johnson. You know, he's just a stoner. Yeah, but he, he seems dumb to me. But yeah, he seems a little slow. Yeah, but I think it's probably all this stuff that's gone up his nose over the last 15 years. Uh, but Gary Woodland, man, really, really cool dude. The articles are amazing. You gotta, you gotta subscribe. You paid more. Well, of course, you paid more for a tiger video. Why, why wouldn't you pay more I for mean, tiger videos? And it's, an, and it's tiger telling you kind of his process. That's worth well, way more the, than the, twelve ninety nine. The, the, the problem is, so I'm not gonna say this. I watched the second one today because it came out today. Yeah. I, the one I don't like how they're going out every week, so I gotta like wait for yeah. it to come out because well, you're in the Netflix era, and I should be able to binge everything, right? Well, I, I just figured I was gonna buy it. I was gonna like get access to this thing, <laughs> and part of it is I, I like just. We talked about it before, like why I hate Tom, don't hate Tom Brady is because I like success, successful people, right. and I hate when people hate him because just because. And you could say, well, the the footballs win. and all this crap. I'm like, no, you don't like him because he wins, and why don't you like him because he wins? Because he's good, and I think it's just one of those where you have to that whole time, like if somebody's good at something, I, you can't not like them because they're good or they outwork you or they just practice more or whatever. So. Right. Um, so the Tiger Woods thing, I of course buy it because I'm like I would, again I just want to see, pick his brain and watch video. The problem is it's like a ten minute video. Yeah, and it's I thought long it, enough. I thought it would go a little more in depth. Like when I'm thinking buying this, I'm thinking it's going to be you're going to spend like twenty thirty minutes. He's really going to go in depth on stuff, but it's really like I could YouTube half this stuff and just kind of. Like, don't get me wrong. It's still cool to see it. Like, it's in tiger. 2019, I'm still going to... Well, still- it's Tiger talking to you the way Tiger's never talked to the public before. He's never been that kind of open He's about more open his now. game. And I think part of it is the way that the golf has switched over with, like, like, like I said, we say foreplay, but Instagram and, and things right. are like... Well, Phil, Phil? Phil Mickelson is a Phil god is, on, on Instagram. He's amazing. It, so How, could, could we harness, like, 10% of that and we'd probably blow up in this area? Phil is witty as... I'll get out. Yeah. And if you look at some of the comebacks he has on there. He just joined social media like a year ago. And it was one of the best follows out there. Yeah. And and, and it's uh, hilarious. doesn't take himself serious at all. And no. I love it. He interviewed a picture of Tiger Woods. And talked about <laughs> it talked about how we basically got under Tiger's skin at a game with Tony Romo. Yeah. So it, it was it was incredible. Um and uh the one with uh, Zach Johnson in the yeah. bath towel. Yeah, that's when, hilarious. I mean, there's just so many good good classic Phil ones. And I was actually joking. We were texting today with people. My, my team tomorrow, we were talking about hitting bombs out on, 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 the, <laughs> on the range. So, Did you see the video? Did you see the... Uh the the, re- uh, oh, the, the the dub video or whatever they call it? Yeah. The, that remix? Hitting bu- bu- bombs. Bu- bu- bombs. Bombs. Gaps. Pull. And, and was it point? And, and whatever. <laughs> I don't know. Pull and point. And uh, no, it's just classic, classic Phil. But... Uh, yeah, it was like that story when the guy walked up to him and he and he threw a hundred dollar bill at him because he said he wasted his time. Yeah, and he goes, "I got nine hundred thousand oh, more of those." So great! Like, I think I paid for that pay per view, and that was the worst golf I've ever seen in my life. Here's a hundred bucks. Well, you you look at like a lot of those guys, like they obviously when you see them in the public, they're they they have to be a little more, like, of course, you know, uh, filtered and stuff. Behind closed doors, those guys are all competitive. They're all sitting there. And it's a sport where it's a 1v1 sport. Golf it's not a team sport. And it's a head case sport, too. Yeah. Like if you, you can literally be like, 
I was just listening to something earlier today where you could literally, you could be putting for a double bogey and you could be having the best round of your life and you put in a double bogey and it's the worst possible hole you've had all day. Or you could be having a horrible round and you're putting for double bogey and it's a 15 footer and it bends left and then back right and it goes in and it's the greatest feeling. And then you get up on the tee box on the next tee and you freaking slay a drive. But the other guy that was playing amazing all day and put in for double bogey pulls it left probably. Yeah. That's golf. Yeah. Like it is so contingent on how you feel. Oh yeah. It's a big, uh, like when I, when I used to play a lot, one of my biggest strengths I wasn't the longest hitter. I'm still not the. I mean, you played me. Like I'm not. Like I can put one out there you, decent. You, you could poke them out there though. I, I'm, it's decent. Like I, but it's not one where I'm going to get away with like hitting it real long. Right. Right. Um, for for the amount that I used to play, I should say I didn't hit it that long. Sure. So, but one of the good things I had a very good short game. But the other thing was I was very mentally, very level headed the whole time. I. I would react the same to a double bogey as I would to a birdie. Not the sense of like no emotion, but like I wouldn't, it I could, I could, I could, yeah, I could keep my like emotions in check. Meaning I wasn't like, I wouldn't get a birdie and be like, yes, like I'm going to crush this round now. Cause I know I could easily hit a triple in the next hole. Right. So it was always like, I would get, like I could start off and hit like a bogey, a bogey. I always tried to go through the first three holes. Anytime I played golf, no worse than one over. Right. To me, that was just like, a good start. I'm kind of getting my swing down and cause I never went and hit the range before playing. I would always just run down the first tee like anybody else and just hit. Nice. So we always, and was that, was that your thing? Did you, if you didn't do that, did you play worse? Did you get in your own head? Are you, you superstitious mean? like I am where it would literally be like, okay, my thing is to just step up to the first tee and swing. No, I, no, I prefer if I had time to go hit the range. Okay. Yeah. No, I have, I have no, like, I'd prefer to go to the range and just warm up and just kind of get your body warm. Not not necessarily like really care how the shots are going, but just kind of like go right. through the bag and hit some shots. Obviously, you do care how they go, but it's not like I'm not living and dying by whether it was well. It's getting the stiffness out too. That's it's more of that. It's more just to get loose for the round and like I said, get your body temperature up and kind of like doing like a warm up before you play the game or something. Right, right. Um, but no, like I would go down. So like my thing is, if I would go out and I wanted to start birdie or not birdie, uh, one over through three, if I went. Like double bogey on the first hole, then it'd be like, okay. I just got to kind of grind it out, and then like let's get a par. Or even if I got a bogey, it's like okay. Well, I'm just gonna kind of ch- keep chipping away, and maybe I'm like okay. Well, listen, I'll be fine. So maybe on number like I used to play a lot at North Country, so I get down and be like okay. Maybe on number four, which is an easy, easy par and poten- like a very good potential birdie hole. I'd be like well, instead of getting crazy and trying to like I'm gonna play this shot and start playing a little more conservative on times, so I could really manage my way around a golf course, and right. I knew. I knew enough about the golf swing that I could, if I was screwing stuff up, I could manipulate my game a little bit to survive wow. a round. And that was one of my best things. So when I talk like my scoring average, my scoring average, like I could play the whole year and probably only differentiate myself um, score-wise by like seven or eight strokes. Meaning like if you took my median score, I was yeah, probably yeah. shooting four better than that tops in the year and four worse because I could keep my game together so much like That's i wasn't amazing. gonna i wasn't gonna go out and shoot 70 and then turn around and shoot at 86 on a, on a round i would go out and i would shoot 77 78 79 80 and maybe on a bad day get up to like 82 or 83 and on a good day down to like 74 or 75 and that would be where i lived the entire year mm-hmm. and i've played with 
a lot of people and that's like I did very well in tournaments because I knew I could go out and if I averaged 80, 78, 79, 80, I was going to shoot one of those three scores. A good day, maybe 76, 77, bad day, 81, 82. Because you didn't play high school, no. right? You I, just played tournaments? I played, well, I just, I played like, there was only one tournament. I, this is actually, I, I played in two high school matches ever. It was when Shazy had a club, and we went and we traveled. And this, I was like ninth or tenth grade, and I played. And I'd go down in those tournaments and, or tournaments. Like we played a couple. I think we played like Westport and Willsboro or something. Okay. And I would go play. And of course, I was playing against. I was number one kid playing against their senior, and I was probably a freshman. And I, I lost both rounds by like one kid ended up shooting the round of his life. Told me it was the best round of his he ever shot, which is the first thing you want to hear. Yeah, and I think I shot a forty or something. And he might have shot a thirty-eight. A forty in a forty in high school is is a good. Well, now amount. you look at now I look at the scores and they're a joke. I'm oh, like it's disgusting. And I'm like I'm like now like the guys getting to yeah now the guys getting to um, like sectionals and stuff. I look in the paper. I mean those things are forty-five. You're making probably the top three or four on the team, which is or even one or two, which is a joke. But the um, yeah, so back then, the, the golf, I only played in a couple tournaments, and most of the tournaments, the only ones I played in were really the Elks Golf Tournament, which was just like the Elks. It was a you know an organization around here, kind of like uh, the K Club or Rotary. So I'd play in that, and I played in that every year, I think, because that was like the one tournament that I could actually play that was a stroke play tournament that had any kind of meeting. Everything else was just me horsing around, playing with my buddies. Um, and I won that. Every single year from 14 through 18, because I think, I think the last year I could do it with, or play in that tournament was 18. So I did 14, 15, 16, 17, and 18. And I won my age bracket every single year. And what would happen is we would go down and play like in the state golf tournament. And you'd play against all the kids from around the state that qualified to go play in this. And usually I think it was the top two from your local tournament got invited out. So there ended up being um, probably in total somewhere around, I don't know, 14, 15 kids per age division at the uh, Elks Tournament Championship. Um, I might repeat myself a little bit. Jared just stepped out, but he's back. So we played in, um, I was saying we played from basically age 14 to 18. I played in the Elks Golf Tournament, which is the only one I really could play in because it was open to anybody. Okay. I won every single year locally. Wow. And I only went and played in the state tournament twice ever. And both times, the rest of the time I couldn't play because I played soccer. So the tournament was always the, I think the Sunday. Wait, golf season was in the fall? No, no, no. This this tournament, no, I never played in high school golf tournament. Oh, so my only right. tournament of the okay, year gotcha. was this tournament I would play probably like mid-July. And then the championship was like mid-August. Oh, okay. But it was always, I think the Sunday prior to golf or prior to the start of the soccer season so i never went and played because it was all around the state so i'd have to play and either rush back late that night to make the first day of soccer practice sure so i never went i, I always vacated my my chance to go to the state tournament even though i won so someone else would go play i went one year when i was i think my first year ever because i wasn't playing i think i was playing modified soccer at the time and they started a week later so okay. i was 14 went and played don't remember how I did the state tournament. It wasn't good. I didn't like finish first or second or anything like that. I probably was like middle of the pack out of okay. like, I don't know, 14 guys, 15 guys, something like that. So my senior year, I was 18. I graduated. It was like a week before I went to college. It was the last year of my eligibility. And I went down and I, I took first place. It was the only time I ever played. So yeah, I still have the little trophy, little little thing. So my it was my God. It was 18 and I, I won that tournament at like, a, 
It was actually the Oswego Country Club. Okay. And it was like a private country club, a really nice place. Yeah. And went out and played. And So did you play under like Shay Z? Is that... No, no. It was, this was just an invitation. Oh, it was an like, invitation. The Elks okay. was just like anybody signed. You just go to the golf course, sign up, pay like 10 bucks. And then they just like age banned you or something or... Well, this was at the local level. I went in like, okay, date of birth, just pr- show us an ID or something. Like, wh- how old are you? I'm like, okay, I'm 16, I'm 17, I'm 18, whatever right. the the ages were at the time. And so, so I'd win the local one every year in my age bracket. So when I was 14 and 15, I'd win 14 year in the 15 year, then won the 16, 17, or whatever, 15, 16, then 16, 17, 18. So I went and played in this tournament and I won it, but I never got to go play in sectionals, never got to go play at the right. state tournament. And there were some guys, I would say if I could have played like those guys did, which every day they went and practiced, then right. played in tournaments, I wanted to see, because I didn't, I played in baseball. So I'd go play like on the weekends, or once baseball season ended, I would start going to play like in the evenings after school. Mm. Um, so my golf season was always very limited. And then once soccer started, I start, I basically packed it up in mid-August. Right. So like for me, I was always wow, like a, a short season. Very short season, because I played sports. So like I, I played really, like on weekends, I would try to play in April or april and may um but with baseball it was tough because you played games had practices so my weeks were out and then right. basically late may when the baseball season ended or mid to late may then i would start playing golf like as much as i could and weekends mornings at right. once school got done i played them early in the mornings um but we played a lot but it was i basically played may june july august i had like a four-month season and that was it. And I packed it up. I played like, again, once soccer started, I played maybe on weekends once, right. once here and there. And that was it. So I never really could get a good... How many days a week were you playing in the summer? Uh, I would say four to five. That's pretty good. Yeah. Like when I was playing, when I was playing as a kid at four to five, um, and then, then you also took into consideration when I started working at fifth, uh, 14 and that obviously cut in a little bit of the time. And right. so, I mean, it was one of those deals where... I never maximized the amount that I could play, but I always had a very, my head was very good in golf, meaning that mm-hmm. I could think my way around the course. I'm actually way smarter now than I was back then because back then you're a kid, like par five, well, I can yeah, reach it, I'm going to rip out, yeah, I'm going to hit a drive, then I'm going to put, and yeah, like no, like now I can look at it and be like, well, the odds I hit my three wood on the green, I'm just going to pitch to 100 as you've seen right. me do, and I'm just yeah. going to get my wedge on and, you know, have a, at least a, Grand, if I'm playing a lot, you could easily take a wedge and know I'm going to get probably around 50, 20 feet or in. And that's honestly the biggest the biggest reason that I think I I can break ninety now is uh, which is a huge feat for me um, because I didn't play high school golf. I, I played when I was eleven and twelve because a buddy of mine um, his his I worked at his restaurant. His mom owned a restaurant on the golf course, so we would golf all day and then mm-hmm. and go in the re- go in the restaurant and work at night for like a couple of years. Um, and so, and then, but then once I got into high school, I started playing lacrosse and I stopped playing golf and I didn't pick golf back up until I was, I graduated college. I was 20, I don't know, 24. And then I stopped playing golf. I played for like a year or two and then moved back to Plattsburgh, stopped playing until maybe like three or four years ago. And I played like once a year until maybe two years ago, I really started playing again. So breaking 90 is a big deal, but anyway, it was course management. Like that was the big thing. Like I could never break even like 95, like just bogey golf alone is, was an amazing round. Mm-hmm. And so, but that was because I was being stupid. I was trying really stupid shots. You know, you're trying to hit a full club from an area that there's no way you can put a full club on it, or you're trying to hit a club that you can't hit that well. And you're thinking, well, I can put that on the green from here. And, and so I was basically taught like, okay, what's, 
going to get you in the best situation from where you're at. It's not like my swing has drastically improved that I can shave, you know, an average of six or seven strokes off my game. It was that I'm now taking three shots to get to the green on par fives. Mm-hmm. And unless it's a really short par five. And honestly, I'm still not going to try to go for the green unless it's a, a four hybrid or, or, or less because I'm just not comfortable. Like, cause I'll, I'll spray the hell out of that. Like my three wood, it is purely in my bag for decoration. It is the 14th club that never gets touched because I can't hit it to save my life, but I can still go out there and shoot. You know, I could probably shoot an 89 if I, you know, if, if things are going well or yeah. maybe a little bit lower. Um, but that was a, you know, a buddy of mine taught me like, you know, w- what's going to put you in the right spot. Not, not only just distance wise, but also like, okay, what kind of shot shapes are you hitting today? Do you know how you're hitting those? And if you don't, okay, so let's say you miss and you're going to, where are you missing? Are you hitting a little bit of a cut or are you drawing the ball? If you're, if you're missing, are you pulling a little bit too much? Okay. So if best case scenario, you're going to, you're going to put yourself in a situation where that baby cut doesn't put you in a bunker. It still puts you on the green. And then if you hit a true shot, you're still in a good position to score, Mm -hmm. you know? So that was the kind of stuff that I started doing. And I think that's the difference between like hitting the nineties and hitting the eighties. And then I think the the way to break out from the eighties is okay. Now I need to start actually shaping shots and know how to do that because I'm getting into a point where I think I could more consistently hit like 88, 89, but to get down to like, I had one 80 round in my life I had one eighty-two round, and then the rest is I've had a few eighty-sixes, and then a few eighty-nine, a couple eighty-nines this year. But every other score, so I've been in the eighties for like six rounds at this point. Yeah, I would I would say, like when I was playing a lot, my the best I got down to, and again this was like probably I was probably eighteen at the time. I got down my average score, I think was seventy-six or seventy-seven, That's awesome. like average, and I was. I, I like from a perspective of I could tee it up every single time. But like I, t- I joke around now, like I'm going through like I have to have balls in my bag to make sure I finish the round. That's how bad <laughs> I've gotten. Back then, I would go, I would go rounds and rounds without losing a golf ball. It's amazing. So I would literally just like throw a golf ball out because I'm like it's, it's just scuffed up. And I'm, right. I'm, of course, I was very low. I was a low budget golfer. Like if it had a scuff on it, if it was a Pro V1 with a scuff, that thing's getting played it. until I can't hit it no more. <laughs> Because it's way better than my top flight three thousand that I got. My, but I've I've played these you know these crappy balls and but the, the big thing was for me um, was the consistency and I knew the swing. I read a ton of art. This was back before YouTube. This was oh, back God, before yeah. video. I read. I mean, Golf Digest. When I I joke around, like I read Golf Digest cover to cover for mm-hmm. years. It was just until probably the last seven, eight years when I just got out of golf and, and had no time to read it. Right. Um, now that I'm starting to get back into it and it helps when I got buddies like you and stuff that will we'll go out and play and I'm hoping my son picks it up and, but it's the idea that fingers crossed. Yeah. It, it, the biggest, we had a, hit a little plastic club the other day, but he was swinging lefty. So yeah. nice. I'll say Ooh. we might have to get him in touch with Ryan. Yeah. But, um, but the idea is that if you can stay consistent, so I always was a very good driver of the ball. I was always a very good, a fairly good iron player, meaning I could hit greens in regulation. Like mm-hmm. in, in out of eighteen holes, I was probably on eleven of them. That's you know? re- that's a and, really good percentage, and, though. Yeah, and that was and that was meaning and, and out of the fairways, you're talking fourteen fairways. Obviously, the par threes. You, I was probably in the fairway nine or ten at the time. So, like my percentages were pretty good. I'd say a third of the time, or two thirds of the time, I'm in the fairway, and probably 
you know, uh, two thirds of the time I'm probably on the green regulation. That was when I was playing really good. My short game was also really good. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if I was missing, I would say there was, say I missed seven or eight shots. There's probably a, you know, there was probably a 50% chance I was getting up and down, maybe more, maybe the percentages, maybe I was hitting the greens 50% regulation. I was getting up and down half the time or roughly something like, I mean, these are rough, rough numbers, but you can see how I, I was only getting three or four bogeys around. Right. And I'd have a couple better holes where, you know, you and I would it'd be to the point where I could go out in an 18 hole round knowing I was going to birdie at least anywhere from one to three holes. That's good. Which was kind of cool. Like you, you know, I, a couple of the par threes, I was definitely going to get a birdie. I was going to birdie one or two par fours. Um, and maybe I'd sneak a birdie on a par three here and there. But that was when I was playing the, the best I've ever played. But my, I was good from a course management. The thing is now, I'm way stronger than I was. Right. If I was still playing as much as I did back then, um, I would be way more consistent because my I, I understand the game a little bit better now, and I also mm-hmm. I'm not the the 15, 16, 17 year old kid that's trying to you know drive everything as close as they can to the, the green. Right. Every right. once in a while, if, if but I, it's a risk scenario. Like I look at it and say, is it worth hitting a driver as far as I can on this hole to have a 20 yard pitch shot, or to pull out, or do you pull out a three iron and have yeah. 120 yard guaranteed three iron that you know is going to be Get to, your, get to your sweet spot. You know, what yeah. is it 120? Is it 110? What is your sweet spot? And I'm doing that much more now. And the thing is, if I can consistently get, like, if I can consistently hit a nice little, like, three iron out there on a good shot, if I hit a good three iron, it's probably going 210 to 220. Mm-hmm. I, you know, and that's most of the holes around here. That puts you, know, you in good shape. Yeah. Puts I'm, you in I'm, great I'm, shape. I'm probably going to hit that on a hole that's 370 or 380 or less. So I have, at worst, a seven iron into the green, which mm-hmm. is. To me, seven, eight, can, nine are all yeah, scoring. Yeah, if you irons. can get your seven iron, if you can get something seven iron or higher out of your bag on your second shot, then you're in good shape. Yeah, That's, and that was when I was playing consistent. And like I said, if I was missing the green, I was missing the green by like a few yards. And then it was like, okay, can I just pitch this up and down? Right. And I and usually could. I think that's the biggest thing too for me. So course management, and then the second one would be would be that is for whatever reason I'm going to knock on wood because I'm so superstitious. Um, my short game has improved drastically this year. It's like if I'm anywhere near the green, I am I'm in my head that is going within a three foot box from the cup. If I'm on the green, I can lag that up to the cup. And if I'm off the green, I can hit a flop or I can hit a just nice little pitch up to the cup. And I don't I don't know what it is. It's like I mean I have an errant shot here and there, but I'm just so if I can get my sand wedge out, I am so freaking confident coming up to the green. So it's basically like if I'm one ten or in in my head, I'm like, okay, I'm I'm got a really good opportunity right now. Yeah. Granted, it doesn't always happen because I don't shoot. And well, the book, the book I got, or I have over there, um, and I think you can you can bootleg this off of YouTube now. But the Phil Mickelson book. Oh yeah. And Secrets I've, of the Short Game. Yeah, and I've read through that cover to cover multiple times. That book's over ten years old, and I start I started reading that, and the concept of it was so simple, and it's such an easy concept, and you can you can basically go to every club in the bag changing very minimal amounts so i still have in my in my thought is i still have a very decent short game that i'm confident most of the time that i get up i can hit a decent shot mm-hmm. now yes am i still gonna hit some missed shots here and there yes but at the end of the day my technique is still decent it's just a lot of it's like feel or hey i might have brought my head up a little bit on it but then right. my next two or three are good shots and then maybe the third or fourth or fifth i you start I, to lag yeah, back again. i hit a bad shot just kind of more lack of focus so right but to me the short game and i was i was watching this the other day um it might have been golf digest or something like that 
they had like a three minute segment on pr- pros. If you go in, they go through the warm up. Mm-hmm. Said so one of like Tiger. So he'd hit and they just showed, okay, seven club, seven eight irons. Okay. Then he went up to like seven four, four irons or something. And he went through his bag. Then he went back down to some nine irons. And then he hit a couple other shots, which are probably shots he was going to hit on par threes. Mm-hmm. I'm just guessing. And then, okay, back to the putting green, back to here. So they're showing his warm up routine kind, kind of very loosely. Right. But at the very end, it'd be like, it would chalk it all up and it would say, okay, hit this many um, long irons, this many chips, this many putts. What's his percentage of shots under 100 yards? I think in the video it said that he hit seventy percent of his warm up shots were inside a hundred, meaning putts or chips or, or wedges, mm-hmm. and everything else was long iron. So he, he hit very minimal long irons, and he spent. Because you think about most golfers, I would say seventy percent of their shots are inside hundred yards, because or, or or close to that. Yeah, because okay, you hit your driver down, you hit your wedge down. You're going to be for most golfers, unless you just have a missed shot or something. You're pretty much in and around the green, on and around the green in regulation every single time. Mm-hmm. It's, okay, you're off the green in two, so does it take you a missed chip and then a chip back on the green and then a two-putt, now you have a six, right. or can you get up and down for your four? Right. And it's kind of, can you keep it clean? And what happens is as you get better, so I found that as long as you have a short game that's pretty solid, you can break 90. Yeah. If, you're, if you're fairly consistent on your shots, you're not hitting threes off the tees and mm-hmm. mishitting and, and sculling shots or mm-hmm. whatever, and like you hit the ball well enough that if you change your short game up a little bit, you're breaking 90 consistently. Right. Then it comes down, how do you break 80? That's when it comes down to the consistency of the driver. Then it comes down to, can I get, can I hit the greens? and Can I hit, can I hit fairways and can I hit greens? Yeah, and which then, I just don't have right now. I mean, my greens and regulation is probably like 15%. I'm the same. My, and my fairways and regulation might even be worse. I mean, it's, it's, it's hot, so hot I, and cold. I have a better shot at hitting the fairway than I do hitting the green. Right if now. I hit... If I hit the fairway, if I can, if I can get off the tee box well, I know it's going to be a good round because honestly, that's probably my biggest struggle right now is just getting off the tee box and putting myself in a decent situation. So the other day, I was I was looking at that Northway Eight Golf, which I want to do. I really want to go down to the, the uh, demo day. Yeah, just yeah, get yeah. a cart because I I think we just take like a Saturday morning, go down, yeah, like drive down early, get there at like eight nine in the morning. That's what in the, that's what, in the spring? It's like April. April? It's like Clifton Park. You literally drive down, leave here at like seven in the morning, get down there for like nine. It's not mm-hmm. even that. It's like an hour and 40 minutes. And you're probably going to spend three, four hours there, which is like heaven for us. And we can be back by like one or two. It's awesome. Just hitting so, balls all day. And, and, and what it is, basically, it's a long range. Imagine going to bluff, but along the line of the range of bluff, there is Bridgestone, and then Callaway, and then Nike, then TaylorMade, then Titleist, then... <laughs> And, and it's like it's you, golfer's paradise. Yes. And you just, you literally just walk down and you'd be like, oh, I'm at the Callaway booth. Oh, what's that? Can I hit that driver? Sure. Here you go. And then you go and you hit and you got a rep there kind of looking at you and be like, looking at your ball flight. Well, here, why don't you try these irons? Why don't you try these? And then you kind of go through and like, I really like these irons, but I want to go hit the Titleist irons. Okay. You go hit the Titleist ones. Then you kind of can pick. Oh I, I literally went down, this was 10 years ago, only oh, not 10, eight years ago. Went down with the idea that I was going to change out my entire bag. Wow. Except my putter. I've had my putter since I was junior high. And I, I Odyssey, it, right? My Odyssey number two, and I don't think I'll ever change it. It's just, to me, it's... to it's me. Your, putter, it's it's your, your Tiger Scotty Cameron? Yeah, the only thing that I wish was a little bit shorter, but I've adjusted to it. Like, I wish it was probably two inches shorter, which I know I can cut down. Yeah. But I've just... How's the grip on it? Your grip is garbage, isn't it? Not on that one. That grip on that putter, actually, that was the only thing I did. I, I changed the grip when I went down... To a new like um, I think it was like a wind golf grip or something, okay. um, or golf pride or one of the two. 
So it has a new putter grip on it. Gotcha. But the, the actual putters have been the same since like 2003. So, so I went down basically everything. I'm getting wedges. I'm getting irons. I'm getting driver. Everything I could get. And I went down. Got it all. Then after they bring you in, they actually fit you to everything. So mm-hmm. like, okay, you want the clubs? Like, and I'm like, well, can I get new grips? Like, sure. What grips do you want? Okay, we're gonna give you this shaft, this club head. We're gonna take off. I think I took off a half an inch or an inch off each of my clubs. They drop. They drop down the. They can do the face lies. So right. Like when you're right. taller or shorter. So everything was redone, and then a couple things like okay, you can hold it here. And they went through everything, and then you hit on like a sheet that basically shows your shots, and then it shows your shot dispersion, mm-hmm. meaning. Okay, you could hit this one really good, but on your miss hits, you're really you're bad. You're spraying it, yeah. Yeah, so why don't we get... They ideally want to keep... And you could have a couple bad shots, but they want you to hit like... I think I ended up probably hitting like 20 shots, and they kind of look... Per club? Um, for a few clubs. They were kind of... I think it was... I think when I went, it could you be... You obviously don't need to hit like you don't seven, to, eight, and nine. No, it was like hit your eight iron, hit your five iron, hit your driver, or something. Mm, right. Whatever it was. Maybe it was one more club than that, but you, you gapped it out enough where... They could get an idea of, okay, here's your mid irons. Okay, here's your long irons. Here's your drivers. Okay, maybe, maybe wedges were on there. Right. And they kind of looked at everything and said, okay, this is where you are. You're going to get this shaft on your driver. You're going to get this on your your um, your irons. So everything was kind of like tailor-made to what I wanted. And then, then I was like, okay, come back in two weeks. We'll have it all set up for you. So literally, I drove down two weeks. They had all the clubs ready to go. Literally, had a, I got a new bag. I had everything. Like I, I redid it. I had not bought new clubs in seven years or something. So... Mm-hmm. And I'm kind of getting to the point now where I don't necessarily need to go get completely new clubs because I think right. my irons are still good. I right. love my irons. I, I would like to get a new driver, a new three wood, and I definitely need new wedges just because the face on those things, the amount of time times I've hit a golf ball with those are more than any other club probably combined. Absolutely. So for me, I just need to go. And, but I was looking the other day, like a good a good wedge is like 150, 160 yeah. bucks. Yeah. Like back in the you're, day, it was you're like 450 bucks for a new set of wedges. Which blows my mind. It was that much, and then be, the drivers like eighty nine bucks. Yeah, and the drivers are like four hundred to five hundred. Easy. And I was like, of course, back then, like part of me wants to just go get the old tailor made RX five eighty X or five eighty XD. I got my burner still. That yeah, thing's like twelve years old. Well, with my thing going down, I'm pretty much going down, looking at the tailor made driver and hitting it mm-hmm. to the point where I, I make sure that that's the one I buy because. I ended up for the first time in my life went away from a tailor made driver, mm-hmm. and I've just I've never liked. What are you hitting, Callaway? That Cleveland. The Cle- Oh, it's a Cleveland driver. Yeah, and I've never like I bought it. What made you buy Cleveland? To be honest, I don't know. I must have had like a lapse in judgment or something because my bag I bought Mizuno wedges and Mizuno irons, and okay. part of me is I want to get a club. So that, you have a Cleveland driver, and you bought Mizuno wedges. Yeah, part of me is I'm a very like my setup makes a difference so if i put a club down aesthetically it has to look good to me and i don't like all the bells and whistles so like when right. i put a club down I, I never liked the cleveland like high bore remember that had like the long had tail the, yeah yeah and i hated that caved in a little bit hated that look yeah, yeah so me if i could look down if you look at the top of the cleveland club it's very simple looking it mm-hmm. kind of looks like the title is like it's just the it, there's no bells nice, and whistles yeah. it's just rounded at the top and it looks you know it's not oversized it's just a good looking club and part of it back then, they sold me, they're like, well, the iron has a, a lighter shaft, so it would help with the club head speed and everything else, which is probably true. My problem is I couldn't feel the club. 
So when I, when I swing that club, it, there's not a lot of feedback because it is a lighter right. club. Right. So what happens is, yes, I could probably generate some pretty good speed on it, but it just feels like I can never feel the club head on it. So it almost right. feels like I'm just like really whipping almost like a, a, a shaft with nothing right. in the end. Oh, wow. And it feels very odd. And my if you like um, tomorrow, grab my driver and three wood. They're, they're lighter than a normal club. And part of it is whatever the, the, the shaft is, it's only like 43 grams that's all it is. So it's a very light club. It's only like an ounce. So when you, a little over an ounce, ounce and a half. So when you like pick it up, the whole purpose is it was this lighter version of what I'm normally hitting. So it makes sense. I was at the time, I wasn't as swing it faster. I wasn't as big of a, like I, I was easily probably 25 to 30 pounds less back then. Mm -hmm. I was like this lanky kid. Like, for me, that like made a difference. Now I kind of look at it, I'm like, that's kind of stupid because I've right. grown in, I'm much stronger than I was back then. So now I look at, I want to go get, I always hit t t uh, tailor-made drivers and I would, like I hit them very well. I was really? consistent. Yeah. I just love the feedback. I love. There's the, so many bells and whistles now on them though. Well, You're not, not going to well, like them. Well, Ryan was showing me the other day. Like, the M5 is. Like he, well, the M5 he, is. Did he tell you about replacing that club head? On uh, what was it? Was it the, the one that the got Epic? The, oh no! Oh yeah, the he just the bought a new club head. Got the club head shipped in, and he had all the tools to replace it. He even had yeah. to buy a new club. Like bought like well, I mean, he bought the new club head, which right. But it was basically it. It was like a third of what he was going to head. Yeah, it was well. The new club head was brand new. Oh, it was. Yeah. Tid oh, t straight from Titleist. Yeah, I haven't talked to him about it. Yeah. So you can you can he basically bought a brand new head. And put so obviously the grip and the shaft are different, but right. you can pretty much mix and mingle your club. So. Like the TaylorMade looks nice too. Like I like the look of that. So maybe that would work. But to me, I'm gonna, I go down, I literally go down to these things and I look at what aesthetically looks nice. Because if it looks crappy, like that's why I've never been a Callaway fan because I never like the look of their irons. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure they're good clubs. Ping, same way. I don't like the look of the yeah, irons. I don't, I don't. I don't know what it is about pings and uh, they have kind of a weird like connection yeah. to the shaft. And the, I because I play with a uh, a set of Callaways and I. I, I'm, I'm kind of in that school of thought where if unless I'm breaking, unless I'm on the cusp of breaking 80, mm -hmm. it's not the clubs. It's, yeah, it's me. Yeah. And I need to fix if, if I, and if, and if, you know what, if I'm playing with a bad set of clubs, if they truly are a bad set of clubs, then guess what? When I do finally go and upgrade them, then I'll shoot better. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. I know, I know clubs can get so custom fit now though, that the they can the make a difference. Helps. The fitting, I guarantee you helps. So that was that's uh, that's one thing that I'm, I'm I'm curious about because I think you know I'm playing with an old bag. I mean, it, it, by all intents and purposes, it's a basically a 12 year old bag. Everything in the bag mm -hmm. is basically 12 years old, and uh, by these this day's standards, the, those are old clubs. Mm -hmm. But I mean, nothing's yeah, there's some stuff. There's some hosels that are. They're not loose, but like the little piece that keeps them in there is shaking around a little bit. And, yeah. But I mean, nothing's loose to the point where like a head, I'm worried that the head's going to turn or something's going to pop off or anything. And, and, but I mean, I know I'm, I've put some wear and tear into them, but I'm shooting better and I haven't changed my clubs. So I'm not, I'm, I'm thinking that it's going to be one of those things where if I change the club, then I'm going to say, okay, why isn't this club working? So, so that's the, yeah, that's the one thing I'll caution you against because the amount of guys that go, run down the dicks and get their brand new driver for the year because it's going to fix their slice. It's not going to fix it's their slice. It's ridiculous. My, my thing is my wedges I need because the wedges, just the, the actual grooves are gone. Like, I'm and that's probably where I'm at at I'm this hitting point. chips that I know can check up better and I know can do stuff. And I know a lot of that is dependent on the club because um, 
So my irons are fine. Like I, I'm, I'm hitting my irons worse. The worst club in my bags right now are my irons, but it's not the irons' fault. The irons are still great shape. Right. My driver, I just think now I've outgrown that. And I, I now granted, the other day you weren't with me, bragging for me on number eight. The other day you should see me driving. At where bluff, bluff. Okay. You should see me driving. This was like my best drive, and, and Ryan and Matt can vouch for this. On number eight, I drove down the two. I had 210 yards to the green on eight dead center of the fairway wow and of course we're talking about laying up literally in my head i'm like i'm just i'm literally gonna take up sand wedge wedge just down and wedge up and like ah and of course at that point i've never hit that far in my life on that hole right so i hit the first one and i was like totally just i i just like hit this low kind of hook into or slice into the woods i'm <sighs> like i just wasn't committed to it. i'm like i, I don't want to do it. i want to drop Face it was like, just like open. Go, i'm like get another one so i'm like okay next one i, I hit over the green um, not over, I was off on the left, but I ended up my third shot. Basically, I did, t- I did take a mulligan on, on that one just because it was against my better judgment. But we ended <laughs> up. Uh, I chipped. I chipped on, and, and I just missed the birdie putt, so I tapped in for par. But I like. I'm not going to go on it here because pe- I hate when people rattle off all their golf store s- shots. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> yeah. well, on this hole, here, here. I'm a chronic person doing but, that. But when uh, I recap stuff. But yeah, I don't need to give the whole recap. But let's just say I at a 14 holes I played. Three were part three, so out of ten holes, I hit seven fairways, and a lot of them, in the words of Phil Mickelson, were bombs. So, bomb, bombs. So for me, they were bombs. So I was excited. Yeah, but I, I'm not a long, I'm not a long hitter either, and I've noticed that. Like for me, what gets me off the tee box is just consistent. Um, I wouldn't call it slow, but just not trying to muscle the ball off the tee box down the fairway. It's just that nice, smooth swing. With things just go well. I, I won't tell you this because I'm going to let you watch it on your own. The, the Tiger's next video on driving, the first like two minutes is going to answer your question. Well, Tiger's that. dad always said you should hit as hard as you possibly can as long as you can hit it in square in the face. So, and that was his big thing. So, so that, that's okay. So that, that's it. That was, that was basically the joke. Which just, is the, was, that, was that in the intro of the last one? Which is the exact opposite of what i do yeah so he said swing as hard as you can where you can keep balance and you can make solid you can contact. keep balance and make solid square face contact yeah and so if what, i swing hard it's just well you know what i'm doing mess. now is i used to have a longer swing and it really wasn't until like this this year i'm like i can't turn as far back as i used to just mm-hmm. i'm a little bigger than i was back then i'm not as limber as i was <laughs> back then so now i'm like i'm just gonna turn until i can't anymore which is only like a third of what I used to be able to. Really? I used to be able to turn like you would normally see a normal golfer do. Like right. I, could, I have my back pretty much facing the target and then just turn down into it. Mm-hmm. Of course, I was 16, 17, 18. Like I look at 16, 17, 18 year olds now and I'm like, you guys are gumbies compared to what I feel like now, even though it's 10 years. Right. So to me, I just turned just to where I literally can't move anymore knowing my club's still on plane and then I just turned down into the club. Right, right. And I've been able, my contact has been through the roof. My only problem is right now, my, my, from a driver perspective, I've hit very well. My irons, when I do that, I hit them very well. But I'm just gotta. I think what I'm doing is I'm still. I'm kind of dipping down a little bit. I'm trying to go down too much at it. Right, right. I'll try. To, I'll try to figure this out tomorrow for the for the big tournament. But yeah. um, but it, it's it's crazy how just how like and I guess that's like not ten for me ten year old knowledge of you know just keep keep the club on plane because you right. think about the farther I go back. But if I go back any farther, it gets off plane, and I could swing. Swing faster, but but at the same time, it's gonna you be all over the up too, well, it's going to be all over the place. And then number two, I'm not making solid contact. Well, if right. I can go here, turn and make solid contact, right? Like like I said, I, I was hitting some really good shots the other day with with very minimal effort, mm-hmm. and 
I mean, if I can hit the ball on a drive out 250, I'm fine. Yeah. I'm fine. Like, I'm, more that go- sp- I'm more, I need to just hit it relatively straight. Because it's going to go, if you hit decent contact and it goes straight, yeah. you're going to be 240 you're plus. You're fine. Like people down here, if you can And in the it, North Country, that's plenty of, plenty yeah, of ball Like you flight. have some good golfers that can hit it longer. The thing that kills me is the people that say, well, he hit it 300 yards. No, he didn't. No. The people that, if you tell me, I bet you I've seen in my life legitimately 300-yard shots where you weren't hitting downhill, there was no win. Like right. Very, not a lot of people could do it. And I've played with some guys that can hit the ball a long way. Very rarely have I seen someone do that, and they haven't done it consistently. It's like mm-hmm. once a summer they'll hit a shot like that. I've hit over 300 yards a couple times in my life, and I'll tell you, there was it was a little downhill. There was probably a little wind, and the grass was probably real hard, so I got a lot of roll. Mid-August. Mid-August, yes. Yeah, Mid-August when... You know, I'm hitting maybe a slight downhill roll. Like, right. yeah, I can get to a 300-yard drive, but I absolutely crushed it. Most times, if I hit a really good drive, it's probably 270, 280. That's, and that's when I hit it dead. Like, I hit, like, one that surprises right on the me. screws, yeah. yeah. So yep. there's not... I'd be surprised if anybody around here averages 300 yards off the tee. And I could be wrong. I'm sure someone's going to, like, pros. raise... No, pros. I'm saying around no, here. No, but I'm saying locally, pros. Pros barely average, oh, what, yeah. 320 off the tee? Yeah. I mean, you're no, telling me you're averaging 20 yards no, granted, less than I don't know how they figure out that stat because is that off every tee? Because if they're taking irons and three woods, does that count? No, they don't count that. So no. they only count when you actually physically the take a driver, driver out? out? yeah. Okay. Because I always was kind of confused on that stat. Yeah. No, because then, I mean, then you'd be averaging, what, 260? Well, that's going to say, because, I mean, those guys, like... But the, the, the thing shots. is, the, the thing is that they're doing too is, you know, we're in an area where you're hitting a ball and then it rolls out another, you know, thirty yards. To, they're in the air. Oh, their carry, yes. Their carry is, you know, three hundred, and then they're rolling out, you know, another thirty. It's, yeah. it's unbelievable what yeah. they can do. I mean, from a carry, like when you get when you get something that's like three, like two thirty out, and you got to carry that with the driver, that's daunting to me. Yeah. Because I got to hit a really good shot, yes. and I have to keep it straight. I, again, in that scenario, I'm taking out a three iron and just running it up to 220. Right. Like I'm, I'm the exact same way. It's, it's all about, and I think that's the course management piece that coming back out where it's like if you're in, you're in the fairway, but it's you know a bunker lined green in the front, and you're like, okay, I have to hit something 200 to get on the green. I'm, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is, this is going to be really difficult for me. Now, granted, 200 out, you, you kind of want to be on the green anyway because you're probably in a situation where if you're, if you're laying up, you're going to be lucky to get bogey. But uh, you know, hitting those bunkers with, with longer clubs, if I have to take a longer club out, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to club down and potentially not go for the green. Yeah, well, you had to think too, if you hit, say you hit a three iron out, even on a 400-yard shot and you're 180 yards out or you hit a driver and you're 130 or 40 yards out, there is a difference there for sure. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, if I know, hey, maybe I'm hitting my my irons well, hit a three iron, then take out a four or six or a five iron mm-hmm. and then run it up to the green, you're going to be, again, in and around the green. If you can get up and down, you got a par and you completely took any trouble out of play with a right. driver. And that's, when I was playing well, that's right. Now, granted, I would challenge things a little bit more because my I was more confident in my skill and I could pull some shots off. But at the same time, I was conservative in the sense of like, well, I don't need to do that. Like, what's the bet? What's the best case scenario? I I I drive yes. a ditch, I drive over water, and I have a wedge in my hand instead of an eight iron, right? Or 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 even a six you're, iron. Or you're seven twenty iron. yards closer. But but maybe. the the downside is is much greater. 
Right. Like, and I know that, okay, so I went hit a seven iron, which I can probably hit the green. So then I'm saying, that means I got to hit a wedge in very close to try to make a putt for birdie because all I'm trying to gain is a birdie by doing that when I could easily get a double. Where if I go down and now I hit a green that would give me a par, or I mean, I'd hit an iron into the green, whether I hit the green or not. If I hit the green, I can lag up for two putt and made a par. Right. So I'm pretty much probably the same as the wedge unless I made a good putt on the wedge. Right. So then I'm relying on a good wedge shot and a good putt. Or even if I don't hit the green, I get up and down because I have a good short game. I still right. make par. Right. And if I was the second person, I could have made a double because I tried to get down and hit a wedge in to try to make a birdie. I, w- I was never at the position where I was hitting birdies every hole. Right. Like I never played. I never shot par ever. I shot 73. It was my best ever. So really for me going out and just shooting par was all I needed to do every hole. Right. So that was kind of the thing I always fo- like try to focus back on was that like right now, like me, I'm good with a bogey. Like, I just got to make a bogey. So, like, if I'm going to do something stupid that's going to get me a double or a triple, well, I'm, like, pars right now. Pars are gravy right are now. Are gravy for yep. me. Yeah. And if I can r- rattle off two or three pars like, over the course of nine holes, like, I'm excited. Right. But it's taking the doubles and the triples off the card, which, you know, usually come because either a mishit or just bad course management. Right. Well, because if you're playing bogey, you're better. You're in the 80s. Yeah, bogey golf gets you ninety. Bogey golf gets you ninety, and if majority. You, because, so there's one thing Bob actually told me. He he said like when he was not playing that well, he would start. So if you're just gonna go out and play nine on each side, or even if you're playing eighteen on each side, he would start his score mentally at forty five. I'm I'm playing bogey golf, mm-hmm. and so if you got a par, you were going down a stroke. So now you're forty five. Now it's a forty four. Whereas if you're playing like yeah. with thirty six in your mind. A par just keeps you at where you're at, and a bogey adds a stroke to your game. Yeah, I like that. And so you're like, well, it's like a total mental. You know, it's it's all about the mental piece. So it's like, oh wow, I just subtracted a stroke. So every par feels like a birdie, yeah. and every birdie feels like an I like eagle. That. I never thought of that. And it's an way, unbelievable. Yeah. It's it's a really cool way to approach the game. Um, so I mean, what's the likelihood that you're gonna get? You know, sh- shooting your own ball. What's the likelihood that you're going to get a bu- you know a bunch of birdies around or something like that? You know what I mean. So so it's not very likely that you're going to be s- subtracting scores throughout the round, at least at our at our caliber of play right now. But when you when you mentally do that, every par you get, it's minus one. Yeah, it's minus one. So it's it's kind of a cool way to like just mentally get you r- more excited if if you're having a bad round, but you're still shooting, you know, not if you're shooting. You're a 46. You're on pace for a 46 right now because you had one double. Mm-hmm. Um, one double only adds one stroke. Yeah. Versus it adds two strokes. So it's kind of a cool way to approach it that uh, that I I do every once in a while. If I I typically do you play with a scorecard when you go out? Do you, do you like to or do you, do you when uh, I was playing a lot I didn't because yeah. I didn't need like back then I didn't need one because I was basically playing off a of par. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm, I'm different than what you did. I would just be like, okay, I'm one over through four. I'm mm-hmm. two over through seven. I'm right. You know, I shot a 39. Okay. So I knew like how, yeah, I did it now. Now I do part of it. Now I don't even keep score. I just have it in the group just as like, if we're playing like a, I don't know, usually some guy has it in the scorecard, but right. to be honest, I could go out and just play and not care about my score, which I right. really haven't focused too much on my score. I think the time me and you went and we played like, that was when we like were a stroke off of each other. It was like one of the only eighteen holes. Most of the time, I, I can't play eighteen, so I play nine or I go right, out. and yeah, I, I play I, ten I and I come 18. back in. So I haven't actually. I think legitimately, eighteen holes of golf this year. I've played 
three times. I think I'm right. If if you don't count the if you don't count the tournaments, take that tournaments I've played out. In, yeah, I've probably played. Let's see, I played. Yeah, I think three, three, like, maybe I, four I've, times. I've this played year. just as many ten and fourteen holes this year as I have eighteen. Meaning, I'll play like nine and ten at bluff, right, and I'll cut right. across the road, play fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, because I'm right. running out of time. Right, or even I, last year I used to play nine at bluff, and then I'd play ten and then eighteen back up. So I play eleven. I played eleven holes a lot yeah. last year. Yeah, this year I've been at the barracks a lot. I, I go in the morning and uh, I just play nine. Yeah, because I mean I've got. Do you, nine, can you jump back and forth? What do you mean? Do you play front or back? Or I play. I try to play front. The back takes longer. I mean, you know that the yeah. back's a little bit longer. Anyway, the holes are farther apart. The holes are a little bit farther apart, and the back just takes longer. The back's tougher than the front. Is easy. Yeah. I mean, in all in in terms of, I've never played North Country, but for all the courses around here, the front at the barracks is mm-hmm. probably the easiest nine. I would agree. In yeah. the in the North Country, and uh, but the back is tough. So I, I I can walk the front in about an hour and five. Um, but the back takes me like, even if I'm playing really good golf, the back takes me an hour 20 just cause it's just longer yeah. and it's a little bit tougher. And I mean, you're not up and down on every hole. I, I played, uh, I think it was two years ago. First time of the year. Haven't played at all the whole entire year leading up to this. And I played with some high school buddies and I went out and I shot 37 and it was the first time I, I swear to God, this wasn't this, it wasn't this shirt. I want Where to say were you? last year or two years ago, it was bluff or a uh, bluff, uh, uh, barracks. barracks. It, was, it was a front nine at the barracks. So it wasn't like the hardest course, but you still got to have some still. decent shots. And I remember I hit a lot of fairways, hit a lot of greens and I got up and down and I had, I might, I why didn't I, you play the other nine? It was late. We just, we literally went out at like four o'clock. That sucks. Played that could like, have been your best round of your life. I played like a, well, I would have had to par out the back. I would have, I shot which right. maybe, but we play like a twilight and then we you, ended up going to the, had one bogey or did you birdie? I, I'm just, what I'm trying to think Did I have two bogeys and a birdie, which I think is more realistic. It's more likely yeah. because I think I probably birdied like one of the par fives and then I ended up bogeying two, which sounds more realistic for, but I remember shooting 37 cause I think I bogeyed the last hole for 37. Okay. Which I would have shot par. Um, and I've only shot, I don't think I've ever broke par. I don't think I've ever shot a 35. I've shot 36 multiple times but i've never actually shot under par nine which wow. is kind of a good i think what's going to happen as i get older especially if my kid gets into it is eventually i think i'm just going to turn into i'll play a lot more golf right and, and i'll just get to the point where you know as you know it, it depends like right now you know when the kids get older and they're off hanging out with their friends and things like that like i can go play golf and don't feel like i'm sacrificing time with them because they're already choosing not to hang out with me at this point. Like they're going like, Hey, I'm going to my, my buddy's house for the, or spend the night. Like I'm going to go spend the night at my buddy's house and they're over there. And like, I'm like, okay, well I'm going to go tee off at four o'clock and play 18 holes before. Like, right. So I see myself getting more into golf probably in about 10 years. And I'm hoping right now I kind of maintain roughly a bogey golf standard. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm probably a little worse than that right now, but I don't think I'm far off from being under bogey golf. Yeah, like I think if I I played, if I really could play at least once a week or even you know twenty seven holes a week, I think I could get there. Yeah, I play probably twice a week, and uh, I would say because I only play nine, so I don't have really a, a good idea of where I'm at. But I think I'm just under bogey golf. Like if you were to average You're, out my year, if you and I played all year, you would you, I mean, you would have me by a few strokes. I think if we averaged out. Mm-hmm. I think you're just under. I, I would probably say my average right now is like a 45 to 47. Yeah, I'd say mine's you're probably like 43, 43 to 44. Yeah. 43 to 44 right now. Because yeah. I've, I've sprinkled in, 
I had that. I, I don't. I've only shot one thirty-eight in my life, but it was on a par thirty-five, so it's a thirty-nine basically, um, and that's it. Like it's forty or forty or worse. Mm-hmm. But this year, I've only carded. I've only carded one, maybe two forty-sixes, and everything's been forty to forty-five. So I'm playing. I think better than bogey golf, but on eighteen, you know, that was back in that back nine can really get to you. Yeah, yeah. It depends. If you ever play Westport, no. Front nine there at Westport is I love the front nine. It was like a nice setup. I think they still have it open. Back- I think they just someone just bought it last year. I was reading that uh, some people went last year and they said that the people that bought it like, and uh, I, they said that the people that bought it are, are charging a fortune for it now or oh, something really? like that. But I, I know it was it was running the risk of being shut down. Yeah, I think, well, so. it closed for a season or two. Yeah, so they should be happy that someone at least bought it and kept it open. Well, we used to go play there at least once a year, and they it's used to have sections there. It's supposed to be a nice there. course, It right? was very nice, and the front nine was... I love the front nine. It's night and day. As soon as you get on the back nine, things just get harder. And really? It's just a tighter course. Is it course. Long, just it, tighter? I don't know. It's longer. It's tighter. Um, it's just a lot... I always found the front nine to be fairly easy. And there was a couple holes on there, like a couple of the par fives. They weren't, I wouldn't say they're reachable in two, but you could run them up to like 50 yards and chip mm-hmm. on. And, you know, if you're, you're 50 yards, 60 yards, 70 yards out on a par five, in, I mean, in essence, it's a very short par three. Yeah. You know, and you should be easily walking off of pars. And there's a few par fours on the course that were under 400 that you could kind of hit like the, the wood driver irons, you had options and then you could still get on and, um, but the back nine always chewed me up. They have one hole I wasn't a fan of at all. It was par three. I think it was like number 16 or 17. And you pretty much had to hit the green mm-hmm. because it was up. And if you miss the green, it kicked down and it just sloped straight down. Oh, so the, and the green, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not exaggerating when I say the green was probably 15 feet in the air wow. from the ground. And it's not really like a quirky course. So it's kind of an out-of-place hole. But there was really no place that you could hit it. Like if you were short of the green, you were short and chipping up like 15, 20 feet. Like wow. you couldn't see the green from where you were chipping. And if you like ran off the green, you were right. You would roll right into the woods. So it's pretty much you had to hit the green, or if not, anything on the side was like long fescue. It was just a very really. It was a it was a very poor. Now, granted, that's why I kind of want to like go play it again and see if it was that bad. What I remember, I just remember it was a very quirky hole where. If you missed the fairway, like, or if you missed the green, you were in trouble. A lot of trouble. Like, you, there was no, there was no, it wasn't like there was 10 or 20 feet on each side where if you missed, you could chip up. And it was like, like a, a second up. cut collection no, area. It was like, it was straight to, fescue. Yeah. And it was just like, you had the collar, you had, you had the, yeah. And then you had like a like a slight, I mean, no more than probably less than the width of this table. And this table, I think it's like three feet wide or something, less than that. And it was just like, then it dipped off. Wow. So you had to be very precise, but, there was a few like really odd things on the back, the back nine. But overall, I like the course. It was kind of mm-hmm. fun to play something different. But that was one. I'm glad they have it up and running. But I want to take you up to North Country at some point because yeah, I got to do that. I, I, yeah, because that, that was that's literally where I grew up playing. Like right. I know that course like the back of my hand. The the uh, Malone's a very good course. One thing I haven't done, which I'd like to do this year if we can, is I talked to Matt about doing it. Is go up like. Basically, I'll just bag a Friday, go up yeah. early early morning on a Friday mm-hmm. up to some place in Lake Placid, play yeah. one of the courses and just have some lunch and some drinks and come home. Dude, because, totally down with Because that. I've never played any Lake Placid course. I played for the first time this year, I played the mountain course for the United Way tournament. 
And uh, we should get in that next year. That's a yeah. that's a fun tournament. It's a long tournament because they've got a lot of stuff going on. It's a huge fundraiser, so they got a lot of fundraising going yeah. on. So it's you know, they do a good job. Um, but so I played up in there, and the mountain course was a lot of fun. It's it's an interesting course. Um, you know, you, it's it's hard because I only played it once, so it's hard to like remember the layout for holes because I forget what hole we started. We started on like hole seventeen or something. I really can't remember what hole we started on. Um, but it was, it was a really fun course and there's a lot of like unique undulations in there, but it's still a, you know how some of these courses, when they they put a little money into them, they almost design them so that they're harder in terms of just, yeah. just for harder sake. It's not like they just make it an impossible course. It doesn't course. enhance the user experience. It doesn't, it does. Yeah. It doesn't enhance the course at all. They just make it harder to score. And they didn't do that with this. And this was, a, this was just the mountain course side, but they didn't make it harder. Cause obviously they've got a little bit of money for that course. Um, they just made it, you know, you just have to just hit spots. Right. But it's still like, you can miss on certain holes and it's still a really good time. It's a really good layout. I, w- I would totally play that course again. I'm in. I, I knew some people that played in it. Hey, Craig, I hear Craig. I haven't played Craigwood, but I hear Craigwood's a great course. The greens are like laser fast. Two-time master champion, Craigwood. Craigwood. <laughs> no, it really is. Yeah, real guy. But so that that's supposed to be a really fun course. Um, a lot of so you're talking about undulations and everything. Are you talking about like um, holes that drop off? Apparently, I like I said, I've never played it. Apparently, a lot of their greens. There's huge collection areas, and like their greens are so fast that. Uh, Bob was telling me a story back in like the nineties. He was playing there and he said he hit probably the nicest approach shot he's ever hit in his life. And he's like, Oh, I totally just stuck that. It was like a, I don't know, a six iron from like one ninety five or something. And he's like, I t- definitely, so he got up there. It was, it had completely run off the backside of the green. It was, it was down like nine feet into a collection area. And, and I think he ended up chipping and like three putting for, uh, <laughs> for like double bogey. And meanwhile, he thought he was on the green in regulation. And, uh, but apparently it's a pretty, pretty fun track, um, but like a really cool course. So that'd be a good one too. I don't, I don't think that one's that expensive either. I, no, I'd play in it. I'd, it'd be fun just to go down. Like I, I like the golf tournaments. So if I'm playing in a golf tournament, I either want them to start at noon or like we played in the, uh, the chamber one this year and started mm-hmm. at like 10 or 11 in the afternoon. Like, so you kind of had the morning, but then the rest of the day was, you could punt it. Cause I don't want, I don't right. like I don't really like going to those tournaments and then working the next half of the day because I'm already right. in the mode where I just kind of like I'm just you're, kinda, you're done. It's like a personal day, just kind of hang out and have fun. So like tomorrow, I was kind of planning that, which would be fun. But obviously, I'm hoping the weather holds off. Fingers crossed. We're still playing. You know, we're still playing. Like, we're still playing. Well, bring your rain gloves. <laughs> I got rain gloves. I got a rain jacket. I got the hood. I think I don't no matter- have a rain jacket. I need to get some some gear. I didn't, I've never actually played in the rain. Like maybe when oh. I was a kid, but I mean you have crap clubs. You're 11 years old. Yeah, you don't care. rain. What what is rain when you're 11 years old? It doesn't yeah. affect you in the least. So I mean I don't really have like that rain coat. So I'm gonna be like extra. Bring, just bring extra or, layers. You can change every yeah. few holes. No, I, I'm I I'm looking forward to it. I mean whatever i'll probably just still play like kind of like yeah. the last time like i'll just keep going because last time was so much fun we had a blast and uh i that, think that should we should if we get back in that tournament next year which we should right is that that just becomes the regular thing we're yeah. teeing off at 8 a.m okay we're doing the double yeah we're doing the double the full day because I, yeah. I i had more fun the second round than the first oh it was, and it was only nine holes and it was great and it yeah. was like cutthroat like the only thing is, I would want it a little. And of course, well, just just so you all know, Gail and I won. Obviously, we, we were team teammates, and so that was that was a, that was nice to win. I mean, I think 
we won't go into uh how everyone's time was on uh on the course but uh i just remember seeing some people shanking the ball and some people uh um i tell you what craig craig had a drive craig had some booming drives on that uh on those nine holes that we played i love that the intention was for an eight sum to play 18 holes and what what were we basically giving ourselves about four hours for an eight sum to play 18 holes we barely made it around nine holes and what would we take we we didn't take that we didn't take as long we didn't we didn't take the full time but we were there it was close to three probably three hours for for nine nine holes. holes um and it was just one of those deals that we just ended up I don't know what we were doing, like why it took so long. I mean, I know why we took so long, but it was a lot of... I feel like we played, like the actual pace of play... Was fine. Was fast, but I think it was just the, for some odd reason... I think reason, it was just the between shots, between holes... We between, took forever. Yeah. We, we, I don't know. We had a blast, though. I would, I, I would have... Had that not taken as long, I was game to play another nine. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. But it was, what, five-something? It was late. It was just one of those, like, we should probably just, like go eat and get back to our families because right this and we got kicked off the course well we got kicked out of the uh the, the reception thing the reception because oh yeah because yeah, we're like well let's go have, let's go finish a drink we're like no we got yeah. we got the reach we got the 1980 the class of 1985 plasma i don't know what it was no it was older it was than like, that yeah no 1960s it was like, 1970s? no it wasn't even so i found out later it was a um it was a i don't know if they call them classes but it was basically uh a bunch of old air force guys from a certain I'm not military, so I don't really know this battalion or whatever you describe it. So that we're here on like some sort of anniversary. So it was actually a, a pretty cool thing. A bunch of guys that used to be on the base. It, how cool was it though? And they still have them up at the barracks. When so we, so we play we play 18 in the tournament, and you know the 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 course is you know just set up normally. And then so we make, we'll call, I'll call it the turn. We make the turn to go back out at one, and we, we're, we're hitting our approach shot. And we look at the green, and we just go, Sir, is that an American flag? They had replaced oh, every single yes. one of the pin flags yes. with American flags. I have not felt that patriotic in so long. I was it just was waiting so for the, awesome. Was it called the Blue Angels? I was the Blue for Angels overhead. flying over. A bald eagle to land on Galen's shoulder. It, it was, it was a, mid pot. Yeah, it was, we were eating apple pie. It was fantastic. It was, uh, yeah, it, it was great. I do, yeah, that was, they should just leave those in permanently. They are. They're still up. Oh, are they? Yeah. Oh, so I mean, tomorrow then. Yeah. So, so well, I don't know if they'll take them down because they. Uh, I think this is the first tournament since. And I tell you what, the one thing that the one thing that sucks is I don't use a rangefinder. The one thing that sucks is you have no idea where the pin is relative to the green. It could be in the front, it could be in the back, it could be in the middle, and you have no clue. So, so this is Matt Craig's text to me: Bring cigars tomorrow, <laughs> and then I go two each. He goes at least. Then we had a few more things about Phil Hits Bombs. And he goes, Bomb Squad, come into town. And I go, pumped. And the last thing he texts me, just got some bird dog shorts for the tournament. So excited. <laughs> <laughs> so so our good friend Matt is one of those guys, in his own words, brings 10% golf, 90% fun. So And that is accurate beyond belief. Yeah. I, I couldn't I couldn't put if anything, he's probably given himself too much on the golf aspect of it. <laughs> it might be more like a seventy ninety three, but that's it. That's all you need in one of those. But uh the last time we played uh, we played just well enough that we all did we shot a very good score. We did. I was excited because I've never I've only won one golf tournament ever and we shot like thirteen under 
legitimately and this one we shot nine under yeah and that's to be honest we probably For us used to shoot nine under was as a threesome sorry matt you were, you were driving the cart um we pretty much shot nine under as a threesome because right. i don't i think matt he had that chip on uh 14 13 on the back he had that chip that was pretty good you know that what is that they used to have the tree in the middle of the hole and they took the tree out the tree in the middle of fairway oh they yeah, took yeah the tree out he did and we he were put- on the right side he had that chip that that. But he put us up. on the front, right? Because wasn't that also? We were we were front. We were no, front you're right. right. He was on the right he side. Chipped, he chipped us up, and he was the best chip. But we got up and down for a par. But we did get up and down. For so a I par. always look at that. Could we have gotten up and down from one of the other two options? Fair, maybe. Okay, so we'll give Matt. He 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 contributed a little bit, but it wasn't on <laughs> Sorry, a birdie man. hole. Yeah, but that's all right. We still we still love. I mean, stuff. certain people had natural eagles during the game but yeah. I, don't, I don't know who that was that that was you you, you can give yourself a little plug right so now. that That's was good. uh so so we're on well i wish it was the i wish it was the uh the hardest hole at the barracks but it happens to be the easiest par five at the barracks and uh so it was uh number eight coming back into the clubhouse um number yeah number eight um and then so we hit hit my drive we we picked my drive um i actually hit a i actually hit a pretty decent bomb I, I got us past the uh i got us past the uh 200 and i think to the point where i had a I'm pretty sure i had a seven iron in my hand so we must have been about 180 out and uh hit that up and onto the green and uh matt and i think matt had pulled one left of the green so galen and galen and matt were driving over to that and ryan and i were walking up on the green we probably had a good 15 feet left downhill back to the pin and I just said, guys, you mind if I, you mind if I, whack at this? And they're like, sure. I was like, because this might be my only opportunity ever at an eagle. And of course, being an idiot, and, and normally I'm, I'm superstitious. I was like, I probably shouldn't say this out loud, but I could potentially get a natural eagle. And I freaking lasered a putt right into the cup, and it had a little bend to it. So I was, uh, I basically said I was going to throw in the towel after that hole because that's about the extent of my golfing ability. The the iron shot you hit on that hole was probably one of the prettiest shots well i think of the day for sure yeah i mean the putt the the i don't know what was better the putt was obviously because the putt's gotta be very precise but the iron shot fairly good distance away long iron out of the rough yeah. to 20 feet yeah roughly 15 20 feet we'll call it 20 it'll make my putt sound better. i think it was 20 because you'd be surprised how short 15 feet is when you actually count it out that's true so i bet you it was close to around 20 because you had a decent it was some distance. It was middle. It was, a, it was back. at least the length of this room away. Yeah, probably. So I think you were, you were yeah, a solid 15, 20 feet. And no doubt that that was missing. Like that was no. online the whole time. And yeah. as soon as you hit it, I'm like, that's in. We had a couple putts that day that I was like, as soon as we hit it, I'm like, that that's going in. And yeah. we had a couple, a couple lip out. But for us to shoot nine under, because we, there was one point in time where we cooled off a little bit. Mm hmm. Oh and yeah, we had like four, we were like, five we holes. We were at four under for a while. Par, 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 par. And then par. we just rattled them off towards the end. And we had a lot of like later in the round, we had a lot of good. We we kind of the claws started coming when in. We were clutch. when we were four claws deep apiece. That's when we really that, started to. And those were true scores, folks. Those were those yeah. That were was real. that was gross. That was the gross total. That was gross total. Um, all right. Well, we're gonna wrap up there. A lot of um, golf. A lot we, of golf. Actually, remember right when we got in, I said we're going to talk an hour on golf. We talked an hour and 24 minutes on golf from the moment we said Tiger, which is fine. We really got to, we, we really should. Do you listen to podcasts? 
Of course. Do you listen to Rogan's podcast? I, that's the one, you know, everybody keeps talking about this. The one so, I don't listen okay. to. So he's obviously like the podcast guy. So he ends up doing this, but they haven't, they have basically a flight companion. So he has two things. He has an MMA. Okay. He has MMA where he, he has his podcast. He has an MMA, MMA thing. under the, It's all under the same channel. Sure. Which is kind of like me and Ellie doing Realty Talk where he has guys come on and all he does is talk about MMA. Mm-hmm. Or they watch the fight with him. So Fight Companion is when he brings on Eddie Bravo, Brendan Schaub, and Brian Callen. Two comics. And one of the comics was an ex-UFC um, fighter. Mm-hmm. MMA, UFC. And then the other guy is owns uh, 12th Planet Jiu-Jitsu. And is a trainer who's mm-hmm. Eddie Bravo, and so basically you have comics and guys that like fighting all get in a room. They just sit there, they watch the fights live, talk on a podcast, and every once in a while they're talking about nothing. All of a sudden they're like, "Oh, oh!" and they'll start like yelling at the screen because they're watching. He's got him. He's got a tap. He's got a tap. And he's like yelling. They're like yelling <laughs> at the screen. And all of a sudden they'll be like, "Yeah, so that so uh, did you try out the new uh, turbo uh, Porsche G whatever?" And then they just go back into whatever they're talking about. Right, right, right. We could do the same thing, but with golf. That'd be great. And what would be even better? It's a live watch. Is what is like, I don't know if I'd do this because this is kind of like my, I don't talk to anybody and I sit around, I want to focus, but like the back nine at the Masters kind of thing or like Masters Sunday where you just literally watch the tournament and you just have guys around the mic and we just have it playing and we just watch the play by play. We talk about whatever and we're just kind of watching it and then we'll like start commenting on the thing Yeah, and you could turn it into not fight companion, but like, like the foursome, the foursome or something. Yeah. Have those four guys just talk, be like me, you, Ryan, and like maybe Matt. We just sit there and talk golf. Yeah. That would be fun. I would love that. And it would just be kind of like a semi, we do it a few times a year. Not every time, but you know, you get together, you know, you get together maybe three, four times a year and you do like a, a do golf. Do the majors. Yeah, you do like the majors. Yeah. And maybe not the masters because I know that's a big deal for you, but, but I'm, I'm I don't not, know if you I'm want not, people I'm talking. Open, but I'm open to it. I'm, if you so you have one major you could watch for the rest of your life, which one is it? Masters. Yeah. Followed by the US Open, followed by the British, followed by the PGA. I'd say the only thing I'd switch the US and the British. I like the open a little more. bit more. I just like the, I don't know, something about I'm the a, history and the I'm, old feel. I'm a big I'm a big US Open guy. I'm big yeah. US Open. I've been to more US Opens than any tournament. So right. I'm, I'm big into that. See, that's the one thing I haven't done is go to a pro event. I need to this go. This is the other thing. We should go next year to Hartford. Connecticut, for the what's the Travers? Okay, yeah, or Travelers, Travelers, Travers, Tra- Travers is the horse race. Travelers, we go down, drive down on a Friday. Can we play the? Can we play? Is, do they have a second track there? I don't know, but um, you could. What I think you do is you drive down on a Friday, mm-hmm. play around the golf. Yep, somewhere, skip it, go spend the night, wake up, spend all Saturday, hang out Saturday night, spend the night, watch golf, Just get a house. And then, yeah, you get an Airbnb, and then you, you leave at, after the tournament on, it's a four-hour drive to Hartford. You leave at yeah. like 6, 7 o'clock, you're home by 11, 12 o'clock max. Perfect. But you do the whole weekend, and you spend Friday playing golf, and then the other thing you can do too, honestly, is get up Saturday morning, go play, and then get to the course, because the t- leaders don't TFL 2 anyways. Right. If you don't really care, just go go golf in the morning, get to the course around noon, 1 o'clock, mm-hmm. and you could actually really play two two rounds of golf plus two professional rounds of golf, and then... That'd be awesome. And it happens in June right after the U.S. Open. Yeah, because they moved it up, right? Oh, no, oh, no. I was, they moved the PGA. We were talking about this. I was that's reading right. off the, the, the leaderboard on that. Mm-hmm. It's a very good leaderboard. Yeah, that's right. The leaderboard is really good. So last thing, golf. Tiger's out. Phil's out. Who's your guy? Rory. Same. How much do you like Patrick Reed? 
on that note <laughs> on that note um followed short right behind rory i would probably say is ricky fowler i just need i need jordan spieth to to do something spieth spieth, spieth. i need i need him to do something because i want to love him i love after i mean it's probably it probably goes jordan or uh rory and then jt and probably Gary Woodland now. Gary just Woodland. that, that top article, three. man. You got to read it. Top three. What I'll, a good I'll, guy. I might put him in. Part of me just likes Brooks, so he plays fast. So, all right. So uh, we're gonna end there. Anybody who wants to reach out, find you. How can they do it? Uh, they can. Any plugs you want to give? Uh, uh, you know what? Just just reach out. I'll, I'll leave it secretive. You. Uh, we've already kind of talked in the beginning about what we do. Um, you can give us a call. Um, or you can just literally just Google us, Donlin and Barkham Wealth Advisors. It's uh, I love my firm, um, and I think we do a really great job for for our clients, and uh, we take a really nice one-on-one approach, and 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 really help people get through you know every facet of their financial life. And uh, if you if you call me and I have a little bit of time, we can talk some golf for an hour and a half. All right, so that is uh, Jared Burns, episode forty-six of the Galen Trombley Show. We're out. Thanks for listening to the Galen Trombley Show. If you want to reach me, you can go on Facebook at Galen Trombley, on Instagram at Galen Trombley, and on YouTube at Galen Trombley. The spelling, G-A-E-L-A-N-T-R-O-M-B-L-E-Y.